Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wiki Ship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is peer editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruthann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, cool. So uh, we're rolling now, uh, and I'm going to count us down. Three... Two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. I am still Lex Michael, despite my best efforts. Uh, and if you want to change who Lex is, all you have to do is subscribe to. Our Twitter, which is Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T, and tell them who to be from now on. Please change me. Yeah. Um, another way, and, and the way that you can keep track of those changes is if you subscribe to our uh, podcast. So you hit that subscribe button, and you can keep track of Lex's changes over the course of our podcast um, from like week to week. So you got it's a long haul thing. Um, you do you gotta commit but yeah every week in our feed uh on mondays and tuesdays bro you'll be like what's lex doing this week has he implemented those changes change is hard right um right it, but it's, it's steps man just yeah. dedication and patience everything worth, everything worth doing dedication and patience whether it's weight loss or d- dismantling my identity or what whatever it happens to be man just dedication patience baby steps hell yeah you know and and you're not confined to one platform to do that you can you keep track of them on itunes yeah. or google play store mm-hmm. stitcher yep anchor yeah uh, i think overcast as well that's a thing is it bro yeah all right so come on can you tell, can you tell lex who to be from, from all sides hell salt yeah me from every which way um if you don't know uh what we do here is we take the stuff that we love and that's built us up as people and we share it with each other, whether it be music, movies, television, spoken word, uh, whatever you can think of. Entire, we're probably going to do it at some point. Entire cinematic universes. Hell yeah. Uh, we, we share those with each other. We share those with you. And we help it builds you up. We are the retrospective that's introspective. It's catchy. Uh, this, is a, this is a part two, baby. We, this is a second part two in a row, baby. What we do, and we were talking about that sweet, sweet MCU in this part too. He's dabbing again. Yeah, you know I am. Uh, a little dab of phase three in this one, Ugh. and then we're gonna talk about Infinity War. Yeah, everybody loves that sweet, sweet Infinity War. I mean, well, at least well, six, 86% of people on Rotten Tomatoes love Infinity War. And, and the, even the ones that don't love it are still paying for it. That's true. So, 
Hell yeah. Um, so we're gonna start at you off. We're gonna we're gonna talk about phase three, how we how we got to Infinity War, and then we're just gonna dive right in. We're gonna we're gonna go go hands first, then our noses, then our like midsection, then our our butts, and then down to our toes. What's happening right That's now? That's how you dive. When you dive, you 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 wanna do it like arms first. Like you wanna make like a, a, a beam with your body. And then go from your tip of your fingers to the tips of your toes. Like an ultralight beam? Yeah, totally. Like an ultralight dream? This is a god dream? Oh, yeah. This is a god dream? This is everything? Yep. Yeah, totally. I don't understand. This is Kanye. Oh, we don't talk about him in this household. No, we don't talk about him anymore. We don't talk about Kanye's persona non grata to everybody. We all hope that Chance the Rapper can save him. Oh, it's too late. <laughs> he was just a friend protecting his friend. Um, <laughs> so uh, I want to. So let's get started talking about these sweet, sweet Marvel phases. Yes. If, if you listen to our last <clears throat> episode, we which dropped, which dropped yesterday. Yesterday. Um. So that sweet, sweet Monday. Using Ooh. that. Using that. Using that time. Nom, 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 time. Nom. Sweet Monday time. Yeah. Sweet, tasty Monday. Mm patches to get your fix on your arms yeah. you don't have to smoke monday at the office <laughs> gross <laughs> um uh so yeah we talked about phase one and two and we got all the way through we 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 were introduced to the space mind reality power stones and and real quick let's let's do the count just so we can remind you if you're tuning in only for part two here's what you missed in part one, we talked about phase one and phase two. So that's Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, the first Avenger, the Avengers, Iron Man 3, Thor, the Dark World, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Age of Ultron, and Ant-Man. Switch three points. Hell yeah. No notes. Yeah, that was all for memory. It was like, I was looking around the table like, where to see if he was at? reading. And yeah, he's nope. like, nope, that's all Lex brain. Nope. Yep. Oh geez, that's the type. I don't, I don't remember important things. I don't remember life events, but I, despite, I, I like, I don't drill that into my head that's the type of shit that my brain retains yeah yeah oh, that's crazy i had it's not to, useful i i mean but it's impressive i had to like write them down and like go over it a few times because i was like all right which one which which phase was which one and in and you're just like information um so i'm a little jealous it's like yo you want call time for the extras on day 14 of shooting thor the dark world i know that shit 6 15 a.m i don't know that oh shit <laughs> i have no idea but i do know like weirdly that's the type of thing weird totally useless trivia my brain will retain it doesn't retain important shit important shit i actually have to work to remember but that that yeah that was no problem it's crazy um but you know what else is crazy captain america civil war that shit was crazy it was like a mini avengers episode an episode i mean movie because it had all the avengers in it almost all the avengers all the avengers save thor and hulk yeah, they were off doing trash planet stuff. Doing trash fighting. Doing Hell, trash yeah. fighting with fun hats. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, in our in our last episode, we talked about how um, uh, Iron Man and Captain America were slowly switching perspectives. Yes. Um, Iron Man went from being really laissez-faire, I'm going to protect the world, damn the man, uh, to being really more into uh, accountability, whereas... Yes. 
uh, Captain America was very much like you follow the captain's orders to being someone who is defining himself by what he believes in as opposed to what he is being told to believe in. Uh, yes, yes, very much so. And it's not for Cap, it's not about, it's it's about the opposite of, of shirking responsibility. It's, it's He even says as much when they're debating the Sokovia Accords. He's talking about how he believes the safest hands are still their own, and we're not, we're no longer uh, responsible for or in control of our own actions if we agree to, to sign these accords. Because essentially what the Sokovia Accords are, and response to, of course, Sokovia being the site of the uh, what what in the mythology comes to be known as the Ultron offensive at the end of Age of Ultron. So uh, Sokovia is raised from the sky, explodes. And at a certain point, uh, after enough incidences like this and like this explosion in Lagos where they they fight crossbones again, uh, the world governments have, have decided, okay, well, we can't allow this this posse of superpowered people in funky costumes to run around unilaterally unchecked and they leave they do pretty consistently leave destruction in their wake and it's a great way not just to it makes perfect sense that this would be a response from the governments of the world in the narrative and in the world that they've constructed but also on a meta level it really did seem like it was finally about time for one of these movies to address directly all of the mass destruction that tends to accompany every climax in one of these movies. Now, in the same year, a couple months prior, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice attempted to gesture towards a couple of the same ideas. That's all we're going to say about that. Yep. Uh, so uh, it, it makes a ton of sense. And we've spent now, uh, going back to the first Iron Man at this point, we had spent the eight years uh, building this world and building these characters and building their relationships to each other. And we know who everybody is and we know why everybody is where they're at when this story picks up. And we see clearly, if you've been tracking them, you see so clearly how something like this comes to pass. You see how, how it makes sense that this is exactly what would happen. You see everybody forced to choose sides over this issue of, uh, government control and oversight and it makes perfect sense why everybody falls on the side that they do and yeah. they don't labor it super hard it's you don't get a scene of everybody sitting there across the table from each other going well this is why i think this if you've been watching these characters you've been watching these stories you've been watching them grow and change and develop you know exactly if you think about it a little bit you know exactly why everybody comes down where they come down and even though when you get to this incredible big fight sequence at the airport you know nobody is actively trying to kill each other okay this leads us directly i guess into the conversation <laughs> well, about stakes with the exception of one character trying to kill the other character which is black panther trying to kill bucky that's a good point that's a good point uh black panther in that scene is trying to get at some point in this movie at no okay at no point in this movie is is no one trying to kill bucky <laughs> uh black panther's trying to kill bucky for the first little bit uh, sidebar, we meet T'Challa, the Black Panther, in this movie. We got a mention of Wakanda in Age of Ultron. We got we met Ulysses Claw in Age of Ultron. First appearance of Wakandans and of King T'Chaka and of Prince T'Challa, the Black Panther. Uh, more on them later. Uh, but yes, at a certain point, uh, yeah, everybody's trying to kill Bucky in this thing. So Black Panther's trying to kill Bucky, but the rest of the Avengers <laughs> are not at that point trying to kill each other. They just know... Tony and and Team Iron Man, 
know that, okay, it, it, Tony's point of view is basically, I, he says it in the movie, I'm doing what has to be done to stave off something worse. If we don't do this now, it's going to be done to us later. And he truly believes this is for the good of everybody. He bumps into Alfre Woodard in the hallway near the beginning of the movie, and she tells him she had a son, and he died in Sokovia while, while they were battling Ultron. He holds himself responsible for that. He says, we absolutely need this oversight. He said, again, in the, right in the movie, he's like, you know, if we, if there's no limitations on us, there's no checks and balances, we're no better than the bad guys. Right. Um, he's not looking to kill Cap. He's not looking to hurt any of the other Avengers. None of them are. But it's like, okay, this is the law now. And we have to uphold the law because as, as Vision puts it, uh, it's right, like uh, conflict breeds chaos, chaos, something leads to catastrophe, whatever. Right. Yeah. He, he, vision it, speak, basically. Yeah, it's a it's a variation on Yoda's speech about hate and suffering, etc. Sort, yeah, sort of. Yeah. Uh, uh, but... Uh, oh, uh, yeah. And to further that, like, just this idea of them not trying to kill each other. Like, uh, we also get the introduction of the new Spider-Man. And he is brought in specifically to just subdue uh, Captain America. Like, he, there's right. a video of him, like, stopping a bus or whatever. And so he's brought in because the tensile strength of his webbing is potentially enough to hold back a super soldier. And the whole game plan, right? Like, once once the scuffle starts to break out, uh, Peter Parker radios to Stark, and he's like, what, what should I do, Mr. Stark? And the plan that they devised, Tony was like, just do what I said, keep your distance, and web him up. So he knows this kid is super strong. He knows that's why it's like, yeah, it's insane that he recruited a 15-year-old kid. In Homecoming, there's a line where he's like, everybody said I was crazy to recruit a 15-year-old. I was the only one who stuck up for you. It, it's objectively crazy. <laughs> but he is also, Spider-Man is physically one of the strongest people out there. He is physically, I would say, he can go, he can get kicked in the chest by Captain America and not die. Right. You know, now granted, Cap's not trying to kill him, but he he's not the least safe. I would argue that Natasha is pr and Clint are less safe in that battle than he is. Um, but... Uh, yes, they're not they're not actively trying to kill each other. Tony and Team Iron Man are trying to uphold order, stability, and the law. And Captain America and his his essentially his support crew, they they know what their mission is. They know what has to be done. They know that they don't know who Helmet Zemo is, but they know that he is behind everything that's happening. And of course, he's got he's got Bucky back. He's trying to save Bucky. He knows Bucky was brainwashed. None of this stuff was his fault. Bucky's a fugitive that he's trying to protect breaking the law and doing so because Bucky's his best friend. It's all, all of the motivations are rooted in character and where all of these characters are at following eight years of storytelling. Now, they're not actually trying to kill each other in the airport fight, which brings me to this question of stakes. I get really frustrated when people talk about stakes in relation to the Marvel movies because people insist that there are no stakes and they seem to be basing this on the idea that if characters don't die, there cannot be stakes. Right. And I find this so preposterous that the word preposterous does not cover even a fraction of how preposterous I find this. So, for example, Captain America Civil War. And the Russos have talked about it through this prism, but it, it completely tracks. It is a movie. Yes, it's about the Avengers fighting, getting mad at each other and, and breaking up. Right. But it is essentially in that respect a movie about divorce. It is a movie about the two figureheads of this family having a falling out, splitting the family in half, and the family having to struggle with that shift in paradigm. That right. is what the movie is about. If you kill one of them, it becomes a different movie. If you kill one of them, it becomes a movie about divorce where somebody dies. <laughs> that That is fundamentally a different story. Yeah. A. 
B, <sighs> there are different kinds of stakes than mortality, literal life or death stakes. Yeah, most of them are made of beef, uh, but sometimes you can get like pork steaks. I quit. And then <laughs> I, I think you can also get like fish steaks, but it's not like it, it, it's it's not like an actual like steak. It's just like a bunch of fish put together. I, I guess you. there are also mistakes. <laughs> Um, but it's not like steak made out of mist, like the condensated water. Oops, I accidentally got some water on the steak. Guess I made a mistake. Anyway, anyway, there are other kinds of, I hate us both so much. Um, (laughs) if I, if I subscribe to this show, I would probably keep doing that because we, we love, we love our audience. Yes. And that's it. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, yeah, leave so, us no, five but, stars. Go on, go on. I did to leave us five stars in a comment. And we read them on the show. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What? But so my point is just that there are other kinds of stakes, and I, in my opinion, I think that the complete obliteration of a close family, regardless of whether or not one of them dies, the complete dissolution of a family where these relationships that were so key, so important, so close are gone now, have dissolved. That's all over. I don't understand the argument that those stakes aren't high. Right. I truly don't. If you're going to argue that like a falling out with a loved one, a real potentially permanent falling out with a loved one is not high stakes, I feel genuinely bad for anybody that loves you, bro, because you explicitly don't love them back. And that is all I want to say about the stakes thing. Okay. Um, unless, unless you got something else, unless you have a counterpoint. I don't. I mean, I, I think that the emotional stakes were very high in Civil War. Especially once you get to that last piece where, you know, like, uh, uh, Tony's not trying to murder anybody on that battlefield, but he's sure as shit trying to kill Bucky in that last sequence. Oh, yeah. Because we find out, and they dropped this nugget in Winter Soldier. Yes. Uh, When Arnim Zola, computer Arnim Zola, is giving uh, Cap and Black Widow the info dump, we see, you know, he's talking about, we use the Winter Soldier to essentially, history can be changed. And you get that newspaper clipping of Howard and Maria Stark killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And they're throwing it in with, like, like uh, uh, surveillance photos where you see, like, little snaps of Winter Soldier. So that was in there, and they don't touch on it. But they set that up in the last Captain America movie. So when the Russos and Marcus and McFeely came back to this one, and it's like, what can we pull from? Like, yes, we have to have, a, a like, a government uh, intervention issue for them to uh, gripe about with each other, yeah. like in the source material. But what? how do we make it so this falling out so intensely personal? Because we see in the movie... They're about to mend those fences. Like once Tony figures out that Zemo is actually behind everything, that it wasn't Bucky, that Bucky was framed, that Cap was right. He's he goes to help them. Like he's ready to help put those relationships back together. And Zemo's plan the entire time was to get evidence that it was Bucky who murdered Howard and Maria Stark and put it in front of Tony's face. His philosophy being as laid out in the movie more powerful people than me have tried to kill the Avengers. I knew that wasn't going to work. But if I could get them to kill each other, if the Empire crumbles from within, that's dead. Yeah. A villain, not, it's not the first time in one of these movies, or not the, I'm sorry, not the last time in one of these movies that the villain ultimately proves victorious. Because Zemo ends the movie in captivity, but he, he won. Yeah. Like, Zemo kills the Avengers. Right. Uh, that was what I was just about to say. Um, so that one, basically... 
after the Avengers break up, we get a series of stories that are pretty much disparate from that world in general. The closest one being like Spider-Man, but like right after that, we get Doctor Strange and Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor, Ragnarok, which all take place so far removed from the Avengers world that we don't really get everyone back together until we get to Infinity War. And, 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 and even then, we don't quite get everybody back together. I mean, yeah, you know, no spoilers, bro. We'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. We'll get there. Um, although, although I assume if you've if you've been uh, if you're invested enough in these movies to have listened to the entire Phase One and Two conversation, and you're still listening to this one, my guess is you saw the movie this weekend. But <laughs> let's let's try and yes, let's keep it as spoiler free as we possibly can until yeah. we get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll put up that sweet sweet spoiler wall. Um, but yeah, so then we get Doctor Strange, which are, which is our first, uh, foray or our, basically the last stone we're going to see until Infinity War. Yes. Um, well, the, the, it, and this is a change from the source material in the source material. The Aya Bagamoto is not an infinity stone, but it makes a ton of sense that, okay, it helps him with his time magic. So sure. We can make that the time stone. Why not? Yeah. Why not? And, and it's our first time that we get, uh, the, we get a, we get magic being just magic. Yes. Um, which is really nice. Which, I mean, you could still say, oh, man, it, it, it comes from all these different realms. So it's totally like still the same like Asgardian advanced science. Well, and there's, the, the ancient one has that line about how like, all right, well, if uh, I'm paraphrasing, but she's like, all right, well, if calling it magic is too hokey for you, you can think of it as a program. So it really is. It's like, all right, well, really, it, it is magic. It is more magic than the Thor stuff, I suppose. Yeah. But we, yes, we are still keeping one foot in the super, super, super advanced technology right. place to a point. There, I don't. I don't know that anybody tries to suggest that the mirror dimension is super advanced technology or the dark dimension, for example. Um, but okay, so Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is a movie that I think is pretty good. It just feels a little weird. Weird. What do you mean by it feels weird? So uh, much was made uh, before the release and a little bit after of uh, very, very broadly the uh, way it was. It was a story about a straight white male protagonist, and it's loaded with oh, Eastern, yes. Eastern cultural signifiers and iconography, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course. It's it's really you can't have that conversation as pertains to Doctor Strange without bringing up all the to do around the casting of the Ancient One, right? Which yes. is which is so yeah. It's a collection of both white savior and um, whitewashing, which is an issue. So here's the thing: I could you have made a different call on casting the Ancient One? I, yes, that's a tough spot, a very tough spot to be in because in the in the source material. The ancient one is Tibetan. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole there's a whole line of thinking about how these movies need to make a ton of money in China, and if one of your heroes is very explicitly Tibetan, the Chinese may not love that so much. Ah. But look, it, you you were kind of you. It was a bit of a lose lose if you do exactly the source material. Even if you are able to skirt that issue, you're still dealing with what might amount to a potentially offensive stereotype. I think right. all things considered, I think they made the best of a difficult situation, or if not the best, they came pretty close to making the best of a tough situation. I think Tilda Swinton did a great job. What really makes the film the, the film feel super weird to me, though, uh, rewatching it recently ahead of Infinity War, what really makes it feel weird to me, like all of those elements stand out even more, 
is how sidelined Wong feels to me in yeah. the movie. It's like, okay, if you're going to co-opt all of this Eastern uh, 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 iconography well, yeah. and, and, and all of that, and you're going to make a straight white male your central figure, and we just had this whole public debate about casting a white woman to play the ancient one. Yeah, it, it exacerbates it on an optics level when your one principal Asian character is sidelined as heavily as Wong is. Yeah. That makes it feel weirder to me. Having said that, look, there is still a ton that works about Doctor Strange. Plots fairly, it is fairly rote. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is uh, one of my favorite actors, but Kaecilius is not an especially rounded villain right um his his mo actually you know what his motivation is kind of interesting he actually uh it's it's he's motivated by the loss of his family much like zemo was but he lost his family and he thinks that time is the true enemy and time will take everything from us so the only way to to achieve our potential to to like be what we all that we can be essentially is to defeat time and the right. way we defeat time is we summon Dormammu to essentially take over this universe as well because Dormammu and the dark dimension exist beyond time these are cool heady ideas we don't really we don't dramatize it very much through Kaecilius all that much it's just right. it's a cool idea yeah I mean he has classic anime villain motivations like there are a number of anime that essentially the the main bad guys aim is to uh, make everyone feel peace by locking them in to uh, a space where their minds will be eternal paradise but the world outside will still be a wasteland where everyone's trapped inside their own dreams that's like a classic whatever motivation right um but i i will say that yes i think that like they could have gone into it a little bit more but I, th I feel like he did he did the job that he needed to do like he showed us that like the world the wizarding world yep it showed us that it's the wizarding world different studio of harry potter different studio um, no you'll get sued uh oh we'll, we'll get sorry sued. the wizarding world is that better Thing. No, now you're doing like a Chekhov voice. Got it. Okay. We, um, no, because that'd be no. That's like a reverse Chekhov. Because if they started with V's, if if in English we'd pronounce them wizard wizarding world, then Chekhov would say wizarding world. Well, but like, so Nate, the guy Vim Vendors, his name is Wim Winders. Right. So it's Vim so Vendors. It's like so, that. It's, so it's not Chekhov. It's it's, it's a Vim, it's a Vim Vendors. Yeah. Um. Anyways, there you go. You but did, he showed you did a Vim. <laughs> he shows that the 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 uh, world of wizards um, is a lot more gray than we were led to believe, which was yes. really interesting. I mean, my only issue with Doctor Strange, the character and the movie, is that he doesn't arc. Um, he he he. What's interesting is I I disagree that he doesn't arc. I do agree that his arc isn't really dramatized. It feels like he gets. Okay, now that I'm thinking about it more, he both does and doesn't arc. Okay. He he still he definitely grows. He becomes a different version of himself than he was at the beginning of the story in as much as 
he's let go of a lot of his ego or he's learning to let go of his ego. He's learning that he isn't, he's more than just his hands and his job and his money and his cars. And it's not just, this is what I do really like about the movie is like we do for the first time in one of these, we do really kind of delve into, uh, uh, Eastern mystical philosophical ideas. Right. That I think are really cool. Like detachment from the physical detachment from the self detachment from the ego, all of that. I do believe by the end of the story, Stephen Strange has really internalized all of that. And I do think he has grown for it. But he also is still Stephen Strange, like uh, ultra competent to the point of arrogance and a bit right. of a dickhead. Well, yeah, he goes from being <laughs> the top of his uh, class or the top of his profession in one area just he to the top of his to- profession. Right. He went from being top of doctor class to top of wizard class. Right. Um, but but I do think he's look he's still he is still very much himself. But I do think he's a better, more evolved version of himself. Right. But we still don't really see that arc dramatized. It feels like something that happens somewhat incidentally. Got it. But the other thing too is I, what I will say, and this is maybe the last thing we need to hit on Doctor Strange. I think some of the visuals in this movie are absolutely stunning, and I think having the Time Stone as a toy you can play with. It, it created a scenario in which we could have a very cool inversion of the typical third act disaster scenario you get in a lot of these movies, which is we're not going to destroy a city in the final battle. We are going to use the time stone, turn back the clock and rebuild a destroyed city during the battle. That whole sequence is a lot of fun. I think it is brilliantly staged and executed and leads us into the, the Dormammu I've come to bargain of mm-hmm. it all, which is one of my favorite pieces of the MCU yeah uh does not does not automatically translate to Doctor Strange being one of my favorite MCU movies but that whole that idea that Dormammu exists beyond time so how do you defeat Dormammu you you lock him into time right and you force him to fuck off essentially (laughs) uh I thought that was super, super clever. And I will, I thought it was clever enough that I will forgive like 10 things that might bug me for just that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I like Dr. Strange a good deal. I think I, th- that was a, it's a tough one, man. Like, I think honestly, I think they did a really good job, uh, adapting material that, in and in of itself was problematic right, to begin th- with, especially yeah. right now. Right, it's, it, that I think they did a really impressive job considering how tricky that material is. Right, ah uh, man, if it wasn't for all those lib SJ dubs, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? The the the, the libs and the SJ dubs. You know you know you know what I'm saying. Unrelated, uh, <laughs> Guardians Two, um, uh, though unrelated f- as a whole from the rest of everything that's going on around it, um, it turned out to be a really fun follow up to uh, to the original Guardians. I I would say that like it had a lot more heart. Like there was a lot of uh, you were talking about earlier, and by earlier I mean in our phase two and phase one episode don't show them the sausage uh we were talking yesterday about yes. guardians of the galaxy we were talk- which is earlier in time it is it is yes. earlier in time um about how it is a really uh accurate and good depiction of people who survived like 
abuse, like abuse as a child or neglect and things of that. The movie sort. is about a, a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is about a couple of things, but predominantly it is a movie about yes, about adults dealing with the fallout of childhood trauma and abuse, and finding solace in the company of other victims of childhood trauma and abuse. Yeah. I've said multiple times and I didn't, I had no idea this was the case until Guardians of the Galaxy volume two. I relate to rocket more closely than I relate to just about any character, not just in the MCU, but just about any character in fiction. Yeah. Weirdly, if we're talking about, we talked in our previous conversation about, about the first two phases specifically, we're talking about how, how strongly I feel connected to Tony Stark and Iron Man three. Uh, representation is about more than race. It's about more than gender. I don't get to see characters that, like, I look at them and I go, oh my God, that's exactly, that's it. That's, that's what I feel. That is what I feel. Not just that's what I kind of look like. That's what I feel. That's, that's what it feels like for me relating to the world around me. And that's, that's a little bit like what I, I feel like the world has hardened me in a lot of the same ways that it's hardened rocket. And I feel like he and I make a lot of the same mistakes and how we deal with that sometimes. Yeah. But his arc in this, in this movie, uh, speaks to me profoundly. Um, but, but the arcs of, uh, most of the characters that have really pronounced arcs and the two, I mean, I would say the two biggest arc, three biggest arcs in the movie, are Rocket and Yondu and Nebula. Mm-hmm. And all three of them, I, yeah, I identify with more closely than I would like to, but it makes, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I, I don't, it's tough because I feel like my quote-unquote favorite MCU movie is going to depend on my mood. Yeah. But I think Guardians Volume 2 is definitely the one that feels the closest to my heart as far as like, oh, oh shit, like, that's me. Yeah. It, and it's and it's the raccoon. Like, that's the weirdest part <laughs> is that it's the raccoon. Um, I mean, but that means that they've thoroughly done their job is if they can make you uh, identify so closely with this CG raccoon, then like the writing and the, the, the characterization must be pretty damn solid, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is also uh, kind of relating it to the the main topic. This is where we get the most about Thanos, yes. like who he is as a person, and how who he is as a father, and yeah. how that informs who Gamora and Nebula are, and what their relationship with each other is like. And watching watching Nebula and Gamora find their way back to each other in mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, and it, this wasn't this, I, I was always very aware of how powerful it was and how much I enjoyed this arc, but uh, weirdly recently it has begun to impact me more and more. Um, you find out about how when they were younger, uh, Thanos would make them fight each other. And the idea was to make them stronger, allegedly. Yeah. But every time one of them would lose, uh, what he was going to do is he's going to rip out a piece of them and replace it with machinery. And that's just going to keep having you better not lose because next time you lose, another piece is getting ripped out and replaced with parts. Yeah. And Nebula, it comes out like Nebula just wanted a sister and Gamora kept winning and mm-hmm. winning and winning and winning. And every time Nebula got a piece ripped out of her and some machine part put back in and Gamora just kept winning and winning and winning and never, never relented. Yeah. So, of course, like, no shit, this intense, vicious bitterness would build, uh, on Nebula's part towards her adopted father and her adopted sister. Yeah. And 
it, it gets even more complicated when you consider that Gamora, it wasn't the exact same variety of abuse, but Gamora received a great deal of it herself. And she, her relationship with her sister and her not relenting in those fights was directly informed by the abuse that she suffered at the hands of the same man. Yeah. These two, these, these, these two women, like watching them find their way back to each other after any shot at a loving relationship was blown apart by their father. Mm -hmm. for so long that moment at the end of the movie and i think on the commentary james gunn says this was something that karen gillen did that wasn't in the script and he loved it so much he kept it in when if you remember at the end of the movie when they say goodbye to each other uh, when nebula's kind of going on her way uh gamora says you'll you will always be my sister and hugs her gives her a full embrace and nebula nebula like doesn't know how to because when you're the victim of certain types of trauma it's very like rocket like like Yandu, Yandu talks about knowing exactly what it's like too. It's any little bit of affection, any little bit of love. You can't you can't accept it because to accept even that little bit of love, it's just a forceful reminder of how big and deep the emptiness at your center is. Yeah, and you see this moment of of Nebula just like just almost just frozen, just not knowing what to do with this hug, and and Gamora is just holding her, and you see just with one one hand. Nebula for half a second with one hand embraces Gamora and then very quickly pulls her hand away, pulls her whole body away and goes, that's like, I'm getting, you see me, I'm getting like a little emotional talking about it. That's insanely powerful to me. And yes, this is the fucking space raccoon talking tree sequel. (laughs) Uh, You know what I mean? Like shit like that. The fact that Yondu's whole arc, spoilers, Yondu's whole arc, Yondu's uh, uh, decision to sacrifice himself for Quill, and it plays into the uh, big narrative thrust of the movie is Quill f- meeting his father. Yeah. And that was a big question mark in the first movie. We don't know who the hell Peter Quill's father is. We just know at the end of the movie, he wasn't human. Yeah. In the comic books, it's Prince Jason of Spartax, which is Jason, but with an apostrophe where the A goes. Right, of course. And James Gunn was like, I don't really want to do that. So he decided in a departure from the source material that Star-Lord's father was going to be Ego, the living planet, as embodied in his human avatar form by Kurt Russell, which is about the most brilliant piece of casting I think there can be. Uh, Ego, I think, is an, an immensely compelling villain, and I'll, I'll, I want to talk about that briefly in a second. But you have this you have this running theme of of relationships with fathers, right. with abusive fathers or uh, uh, fathers that have abandoned you, for example, like Peter believes his father did. And he did. But that's that, that ain't all he did. Right. Uh, but Yondu being the, the father that really what even though he was an asshole, like the whole time threatened to eat Peter, you know what I mean? But he still was the guy who raised him. He still was the guy that was there. And he finally he, he makes it the, the grandest gesture possible of love. He sacrifices himself for his surrogate son. And then, of course, at the end, like like Yondu was the guy who really had Rocket's number. Like Yondu was the guy who says, I know exa-, he says he's like, I know exactly who you are because you're me. Mm-hmm. And Yondu sacrifices himself. And then Rocket puts in word to the Ravagers who had completely disowned Yondu and told them of his sacrifice. And they all show up. By the way, at this point in the movie, every single time I've already fucking started bawling. Uh, then the Ravagers show up at that funeral. And I just dude, I'm not, I'm not even a little embarrassed. I just cry and cry and cry because it is so goddamn beautiful yeah this uh, this moment where rocket's looking at all of them is like they came and he's he says you know he, t- he tells everybody's like i told yondu's ravager buddies what he did and they all came out and like you see sylvester stallone as one of, and by the way that whole posse is like the original comics guardian sylvester yeah. stallone and all his buddies mm-hmm. um 
but basically being like, you know, he didn't let us down after all. And they salute him and they honor him. And the last shot of the movie is Rocket looking up at all of us, this close up on Rocket and a tear comes out of his eye because he, he realizes for the first time that he is capable of being loved. That's powerful shit, dude. Yeah. Like that, like I'm like, I'm fucking myself up emotionally talking about it right now. Like that I literally ball every single time I watch this movie. That's power. And it's, and it's the raccoon person, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but, um, it's a powerful movie, man. And it's also too, the, the other thing that I think is uh, really fucking cool about this movie is it's the first in a, a loose thematic trilogy. Uh, we have to hop over Spider-Man, but Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Thor Ragnarok, and Black Panther mm-hmm. are all, one of the things that they are all about in common with each other is about the horrors of colonialism. Right. Ego, the living planet, is the is the concept of, uh, what is, I saw a, a writer, Siddhant uh, Adlaka, uh, uh, one of the guys who inspired me to want to have these conversations a little bit more. He was doing a, a series of pieces. Uh, about the the Marvel movies leading up to Infinity War. And yeah. I really love the way he put it uh, in uh, his Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 piece. Ego the Living Planet is manifest destiny made manifest. <laughs> he essentially, he is, right? He's ant, he's a white dude. Yeah. Uh, his avatar form, he's a planet. His avatar form is a white <laughs> dude. Um, but his whole plan is, well, I looked, out, I looked at all the life out there and it's just so disappointing. So I'm like, why don't I just make it all me? Yeah, it is my divine right. I am a god. Uh, he's you know celestial, but in his own mind, he's like I am a god. Right. I am superior to all of this. Let me make it me, and I will just roll myself all over the universe. I will make it me. I will make it mine. It is all mine now because I have a divine right to it. Yeah. As about as colonialist as it gets, my dude. Yeah, I mean, and even though specifically those three movies you named they all have this the same theme about like living in the shadow of your father as well yes so like it's and and in a way i mean that's a big running motif and that the mcu is chock full of daddy issues because you can say the same stuff about thor and loki and tony stark yeah i mean but specifically it being in the narrative of the movie yes. like uh very specifically to those narratives but also like uh, the idea of like not colonialism in itself, but like this this idea of following in your father's footsteps and creating a world uh, that is better than the one that they uh, sought out to create, you know, yes. because all of these fathers sought out to create a world in their image and their 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 children in in some way, shape or form found a better way to live. Which is interesting. Which is something they actually hit that in Ant-Man too, right? Like Hank Pym's got the line was like, it's not about saving our world. It's about saving theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Legacy is another thing that these movies are, are pretty heavily concerned with. A bunch yeah. of them. A bunch of them very concerned with questions of legacy. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah. I, I, could talk a, I could talk more about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It's got one of my favorite set pieces in the entire oeuvre the uh when uh yondu and rocket and groot take down all the ravagers with the arrow to uh come a little bit closer yeah dope just so good (laughs) yeah i mean i feel like we've pretty much run through the gambit i'm ready to start talking about infinity war if you are i feel like the Um, last thing we got to do like i feel like yeah in relation to infinity war i don't have a ton to say about spider-man homecoming i like it that is my peter parker i love his relationship with tony stark it's a little weird that they 
took Peter Parker and essentially gave him Miles Morales' life. That's a lot to me, but okay, fine. I, I accept it. I thought it was very cute, very charming. Yeah. He's, he's my favorite Spider-Man. I don't think it's the best Spider-Man movie, but it's definitely the one I'll put on the most often now because of its relationship to everything else. I love the the nod, the little wink at the Iron Spider suit at the end. Yeah. And then Peter decides I'm going to stay on the ground. I don't know if that through line is dramatized super well, but I like <laughs> I like the movie a lot. I think yeah. it's a little bit at odds with itself, but I, I like it. Well, I think that like the one thing to kind of take away from it, especially since we just talked about this idea of legacies and 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 father fathers and father figures is that like we've seen Tony Stark co- go from this like alcoholic dude who only cares about himself to like really trying to be this mentor figure to Peter Parker. Yes. Um and you get to see it from the other side in that like Peter Parker started out as this kid who was basically abandoned by his father figure and is trying to live up because he he like Tony Stark, uh, I saw your face. Tony Stark. I was, like, what do you, I was like, what do you mean? Like Tony Stark starts as um, the like he he brings Spider Man into the fold. Okay, you're still um, referring to Tony Stark. Yes. Okay, because I was like, what do you, do you mean, Uncle Ben? No, like, no, he no, died. No, no. He didn't no. abandon them. No, that's Tony's, a little a little uncharitable. <laughs> no, uh, I'm talking about Tony specifically. Yes. Okay. Um, because. Tony brings him to the fold for this one mission and then essentially stops taking his phone calls and you see him trying to deal with, uh, with happy, with happy. And also just trying to deal with the idea of being a part of something bigger, but only for a second and like having to, to kind of carry the weight of knowing that he's capable of so much more, but he's only really like servicing this small piece. Right. Um, and then, like, trying to live up to what he believes Stark sees in him. Right. And I love I love the flip side of that arrangement, too, is the way Tony approaches it. Like, after the whole ferry incident, uh, when Tony, the conversation where Tony decides he's going to take the suit back. Uh, I love, Tony's point of view is essentially like, if you're, the two things he says, if you're nothing without the suit, you shouldn't have it. Which is, that's, that's, uh post Iron Man three Tony talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you don't get to that perspective with Tony Stark unless he goes through what he goes through specifically in Iron Man three forward. Um, and also by, by the same token, uh, when, when Peter tells him, you know, I just wanted to be like you, Tony says, I wanted you to be better Mm -hmm. because Tony, Tony knows now Tony has grown. Tony's matured. Tony still makes some of the same mistakes, but he's learned from a lot of the mistakes he's made as well. Uh, again, like they don't they don't hit it over the head too hard, but a big indicator of how much that dude has grown. But yes, I love their relationship. Love a lot about that movie. Michael Keaton as the Vulture. What what? Yeah. Uh, love that. Love the little wink to Miles Morales being in the universe somewhere because uh, Donald Glover plays Aaron Davis, who's yeah. his uncle. There's a reference to him having a nephew. Blah blah blah. Right 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 right. Um, a lo- lot of fun, but yeah, not a lot of big. It's just, a, as far as its re- uh, relevance to Infinity War, just more of the Peter-Tony relationship. Exactly. And then uh, Thor Ragnarok, which I absolutely fucking adore. I love that they let Taika Waititi make a full-on farcical space bro comedy yeah. that is also about the horrors of colonialism, very mm-hmm. explicitly about the horrors of colonialism. But it's also the movie where Jeff Goldblum has a melty stick. Right. Uh, it's hilarious. Thank God they let Helms- Helmsworth 
stretch a bit because that dude is preternaturally hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that they they're like, you know what? We we've been struggling with Thor over over all of these movies. Let's all right. Let's just chuck a bunch of this stuff out. Let's try something totally different and bonkers and fun. And it works insanely well. Uh, more Loki stuff is great. The Loki Loki Thor stuff in this movie is wonderful. And then, of course, we get Hulk and we get to play with a lot of the toys from the Planet Hulk toy yeah. box because you can't make a solo Planet Hulk movie because as we we talked about in our uh, the first half of this conversation, you have to go through Universal and for whatever reason, they just haven't been able to make that happen. So we were able to take a lot of the Planet Hulk stuff, throw it into this movie. Uh, Kate Blanchett as Hela, uh, the antler lady, uh, who is kind of barely a character in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but Blanchett is clearly having a blast doing it. Um, all that stuff is, is fun. Uh, but mostly it's like, it's the sense of humor. It's the personality. And then it's also, yeah, the fact that this movie actually has some pretty real stuff to say, Mm -hmm. uh, under all of it without making the movie, uh, super depressing or like they're trying to hardcore like hit you with a message right um but literally like they talk about how odin odin invaded all these civilizations killed and plundered and that's how he built his empire and he literally she literally she says the line about like huh uh, odin is proud to have it ashamed of how he got it mm-hmm. sounds familiar yeah um but i i dig it a lot and i love i love that at the end of the movie, Thor comes to this realization where uh, a civilization built on the back of that much ugliness, sometimes the only way to fix it is essentially to tear it down and start over. Right. And that's effectively what they do. They they facilitate Ragnarok at the end of the movie. And Asgard, uh, Asgard is a, is a people. It's not a place. Yeah. And they they set out on their own. They become a refugee population, too. Mm-hmm. By the, which, again, it's like, it's all oh, this shit is there, man. These people are like, these movies are empty calories. I'm like... I did, I did you you didn't watch this did you right uh but also at the same time an absolute blast of a movie yeah very fun um the only other one is uh black panther but we already did like We've, a 30 minute special on it yes i think around the time of the release you can go back it's not it's not like we have a thousand episodes you go back through the feed i think it, did we do it maybe for missing out monday yeah Okay. Well, it was like a bonus episode. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. Okay, so we did it was a Black like a Panther full piece. Bonus so, yeah, a bunch of thoughts on it, and obviously, yeah, yeah. yes, very heavily about the colonialism uh, uh, subject matter as well, among other things. But yes, uh, we meet we meet T'Challa's supporting cast, and we enter the world of Wakanda for the first time. Uh, we find we we at the end of Civil War, Bucky ha- has been stashed away in Wakanda so that hopefully they can help deprogram him. Right at the very end of Black Panther, it seems like he's up, he's around. This may have they may have succeeded. He's still in Wakanda, um, but then yeah, uh, at the very end of Ragnarok, the Asgardians are are drifting through space. There seems the decision seems to have been made. They're going to go back to Earth because like Thor knows some people there. Yeah. Uh, and in the mid-credit scene of Ragnarok, uh, they are descended upon by a giant craft. Thor doesn't seem to know what this ship is because you see the you before you see the ship, you see the shot of the two of them, the two shot of Thor and Loki. Yeah, Thor's just looking at the ship like, hmm, what is this giant ship? Loki looks nervous. Right, uh, and so that's where all the pieces were lie. That's where all the pieces lied at the moment right before uh, Infinity War. So now. I'm gonna pull up, or I'm gonna pull up that spoiler curtain. So this is the moment We're where I'm go, giving yeah. you time because it's very difficult to talk about this movie away. at all 
at all without getting into specifics. And even though we could talk for a few minutes without getting into any really big plot spoilers, honestly, I, having now seen it twice, how many times have you seen it? You saw it twice? Twice. As of this recording, I've also seen it twice. Having now seen it twice, frankly, know as little as possible. Know as little. If you could go in knowing nothing but what was in the first couple of trailers, or the, the only, I'm sorry, the two trailers and the Super Bowl spot, because that's all I had any clue about. Yeah. Yeah, do that. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to even know, like, uh, I don't want to know general things. I don't even want to know where scenes are set yeah. until I see it, if I can avoid it. So I would, I would recommend if you can avoid any information, uh, going in, uh, do so. So yeah, for real, like we're going to probably get into spoilers real quick. So yeah, just take pa- pause now, come back after you go, after you go see it, go see it right now, come back in like three hours and, right. and then you can listen to us just spoil the, the crap out of it. Totally. Uh, so I'm going to give you a countdown. Three, two. All right. We're going to start. Spoiling so many things. people die. All right. But we'll get to that. We'll get um, to that. Yes. We we'll... pick up. Sorry. I just really quickly. I want to jump right in. Uh, okay. If, if I may. Yeah. We open. We don't we don't pick up immediately from the tag on Ragnarok. We probably open within within an hour of that for yeah. sure. And we open uh, uh, in media res, as it were, in the middle of the action. Uh, yeah, the Asgardians are all fucked up. Oh, yeah. Um, even when you're at the Marvel uh, opening scene, you're hearing oh, the, the distress logo. call. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we get that we get the cool in the in the logo. We get the nice little 10. On the, the oh, studios, yeah. the IO is the 10, which is cool. And and by the way, like sidebar, the, the fact that almost exactly 10 years from the release of Iron Man, they released Avengers Infinity War. The original date before they pushed it up a week was, I think, was two days off the 10-year anniversary of Iron right. Man. It's going to be in theaters on the 10-year anniversary of Iron Man. What they have accomplished in 10 years, forget what they accomplished just within their own lane, they completely transformed the way studios are approaching big-budget movies. Yes, again, as I've mentioned before, for better and worse, but it is staggering. Yeah. There is there is pre-Marvel and there is post-Marvel. Mm-hmm. It is insane what they were able to accomplish in a decade of storytelling. Right. Fucking insane. So just wanted to pause and be like, let's just let's just put let's put on hats just so we can tip them to Marvel. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we should start out, since we are talking about that opening scene, we should start talking about like Thanos and his merry band. Ah, the Black Order, which not for nothing, man. Like the we live in a world now where there's a movie with the Black Order in it, which is insane to me. Yeah. So the Black Order, I know primarily, I think most people know primarily from uh Jonathan Hickman's Infinity Run, which is it's an infinity story, but it's not about Thanos and the Stones, although Thanos is is an element of it. Uh, it's a it's a whole thing with like the, the builders are coming and we're gonna like d- disassemble and reassemble and the world's gonna end and there's gonna be a different world and there's gonna be a whole bunch of shit happening and it's a big story with a lot of moving parts and it's been a while but uh, yeah. the Black Order also in the comics called the Cull Obsidian mm-hmm. um, in the comics was made up of there there were four principles it was Corvus Glaive. Proxima Midnight, Ebony Maw, and Black Dwarf. In the movies, uh, Black Dwarf has been renamed Cull Obsidian. Uh, but the rest, the other players are still there, and it's the same character. They just gave him a different name, I guess, because they thought maybe Black Dwarf sounded too racially loaded. I'm not I sure. Mean, maybe. That's my best guess. Um, yeah, also, it was probably... If they couldn't, if they weren't going to use the name for all of them, it was like a little nice little nod. 
Um, so I imagine that being what. Well, not for nothing. Well. They've already got like a Black Panther and a Black Widow, and we don't need another another black black something right. name. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and there's already a dwarf in the movie, so they're like, man. Who, who is it, and a, and a giant giant dwarf he's a giant, a giant dwarf. Oh, we'll get to e-tree that was fun uh yeah. but uh uh so that yes the the alternate name for their little cabal they just gave to uh this character is a character named called him call obsidian but the fact that there is a movie with like corvus glaive in it is yeah. bonkers to me even though he does really only get like two lines in the entire movie uh the fact that these four are in this thing is bonkers to me. I thought the effects on especially Ebony Maw were phenomenal mm-hmm. and not like also to the effects in general, but also the effects on Thanos. There were a couple of places in this movie where he looked pretty photorealistic to me, which was bonkers yeah. with like th- three capital B's it was like bub bub bonkers. Can I talk about Thanos in general? Not, yeah. Like in terms of his look. Um, so like he starts out in his traditional Thanos golden armor he's got the and all armor, that he's got stuff. His helmet. Um, and I really like that from the very beginning, because every other time we've seen Thanos as well, like when he was in all the stingers and in Guardians, he's always got his he's always got like his, his helmet and stuff on. on. Yeah. yeah. And so from the beginning, they were like, "All right, cool. We need this character to feel." like a person and feel more human human. So like they softened up a lot of his features in a lot of the other movies, his eyes were a glowy blue, but they basically made his eyes a lot more human. Um, and they basically just made him look like a big dude. Um, it's which ins- I really appreciate. Yeah, it's insane how much of Brolin's performance comes through. Yeah. That motion capture and like watch it like we talked about when we talked about Incredible Hulk in part one of this conversation. I, I talked about one of the what I feel is one of the biggest issues with the movie is that we weren't quite there with motion capture yet. So when Norton turns into the Hulk, you lose Norton completely, which yeah. means you lose your connection to Banner completely. Cut to four years later. Mocap was there when we got to Avengers, which means you still see Mark Ruffalo in the Hulk cut to six years after that and we have made that many more strides in what we're able to accomplish with motion capture to the to the point where this big purple guy like his skin looks like skin you know what i mean like his skin looks as much like skin as Downey's does you know yeah. like that's insanely impressive to me mm-hmm. yeah oh, oh but oh. so you mentioned him taking off his like armor and stuff it yeah. occurs to me too it's like he already had one uh infinity stone at that point he had the power stone sidebar since we're into spoiler spoilers yeah. i love that and we had a lot to do in this movie but i love that thanos shows up having already destroyed xandar last week right <laughs> which is great uh we got a, we got a lot to do in this movie so it's like all right at some point during the last third of ragnarok i guess yeah thanos was destroying xandar and stealing the power stone right but once you have a second infinity stone the hell do you need the helmet for really right yeah. i mean especially because your main the two that you have are uh space and and a destruction and power yeah. yeah um so you you you're basically an offensive machine and his skin is like well, not his skin but like he's pretty much uh resistant to most bludgeoning and sharp damage anyway so like what what does he need it for um i also uh kind of uh, folding him in and talking about the crew as well. Um, one of my co-workers, uh, Snack, is what we call him, because that is his last name. Um, but he uh, was comparing, and I really liked his comparison, to his group as like a a questing party, like in D&D or like a Lord of the Rings oh, you or mean, whatever. Uh, with a Black Order? 
Yes. Or in the movie, actually, in the movie, they never refer to themselves as the Black Order. It's always the children of Thanos. Right. But, okay, yes. Um, but, yeah, him and the Black Order, basically, like, um, you have your rogue, which is Glaive. You have your barbarian, which is Obsidian or Black Dwarf. You have your uh, wizard, Ebony Maw. You have your uh, fighter, which is Proxima Midnight. Um, and when you put it in those terms, like, the way that the story unfolds is really... Interesting. If you've ever like done or watched a quest and, and so you, because at that point you see all of the Avengers as your, like your mini bosses and your, your obstacles. And so like, as you're going through your, you, you have to do whatever it takes to accomplish um, your task, which is get these assorted items in order to fulfill the bigger task, which in their eyes is, save the universe well so so i guess to piggyback on what you're saying that that brings us to a big overall point about this movie which is they weren't kidding when they said thanos was essentially the main character of this story yeah thanos is the one it's called avengers but for all intents and purposes this is thanos infinity war Mm -hmm. thanos is is really the central figure thanos drives all the action thanos is one of the only characters in the movie with an arc no no, you tell me if you Saw one I missed, but none of the Avengers have an arc in this movie. They maybe have elements of an arc, and we're definitely midway through their overall arcs in the universe. Yeah. But I don't think there's a single Avenger that has a full arc in this movie. I don't think there are many Avengers where they even gesture towards arcs in this movie, and that would be a massive, massive, massive problem were it not so clearly and intentionally a Thanos story. Right. Well, I would say... That the only uh, Avenger to arc is Groot. He goes from only caring about his <laughs> video game. It's actually not bad. Yeah. You're right. There's that scene. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. Fuck it. Uh, where uh, Stormbreaker, they make Stormbreaker and Eitri's like scrambling around looking for this handle while Thor is dying. And Groot uses his arm to make a handle for Stormbreaker, which right. is awesome. See? Also, arc. I believe there's a reference, right? Because Eitri, fuck it. Yeah, Peter Dinklage is in this movie. He's Eitri the dwarf. Uh, yeah. And he's responsible. He's one of the dwarves uh, responsible for, for forging these god weapons. That's where Mjolnir came from. Like uh, metal uh, uh, forged in forged in a forge. Yes. Redundant. Forged in a forge in the heart of a, a, a dying star, essentially. And we have to reignite this, uh, this forge so that we can make a new weapon. Uh E-tree and then can o- Forge shows up. Right. Uh, forge the Dark World. Um, what? Get out of here. <laughs> uh, the, uh, but E-tree can only write. The, what I gathered was he could really only work from the molds that he has yeah. access to because his hands, right? Like Thanos had E-tree make him a, the gauntlet yeah. and then killed everybody anyway and left E-tree alive. But his hands are now... They're they're like... it. it I would assume that basically... He had just thrown them in the boiling cauldron, right? And so now they're they're just covered in stone, not stone metal, right? But so what I what I gathered is essentially that because of that, he can't necessarily make something new, something custom, something special. But if he if something that he's made before, if he's got a mold for it, everything that's like in his head that he's already done, yeah. he could essentially make just make a new mold. Like you can't make phrase it this way: he can't make a new mold, but he can use a mold that he's already got right. to forge a, another one of those. Yeah. So why I love that is he already had a mold for Stormbreaker lying around. If I'm not very much mistaken, in the comics, Etri makes Stormbreaker for Beta Ray Bill. 
So I love the idea that he's already made this before because it's possible that in this universe, he made one for Beta Ray Bill, who's just out there somewhere. Right. That'd be interesting. Uh, there is on Sakaar in Ragnarok on, on the tower, the contest of champions, like tower where they're carving in the heads of different champions. Yeah. Beta Ray Bill is one of those heads. Oh, nice. So I think, I think, uh, I mean, obviously if it's, if, they were thinking about it as I'm sure they probably were. That's in there as an intentional Easter egg, but it was something that I hadn't thought about until today. Yeah. Um, it's phase five, baby beta Ray bill. It, there's no way he doesn't show up in one of these eventually. Yeah. Uh, but yes. Yeah, so, so you're right. Actually, uh, teen Groot does have a bit of a, a bit of an arc, I suppose, but for the yeah. most part and, and Thor slightly, but even Thor, it's less of an arc than it's like, I'm going to kill Thanos. Let me go get this thing. I've got this thing. Let me kill Thanos. Yep. Uh, That's his arc. But uh, but so okay, back to back to up top. So I didn't know anything about the movie other than what was in a couple of the trailers. But based solely on what was in the two trailers and the Super Bowl spot, I started to make some some predictions. Yeah. It is it seemed very clear to me that since Thor was gonna spend what look it looked like he was gonna spend a big chunk of time with Groot and Rocket. We had to get him away from that ship pretty early in the movie. Okay. We knew from the tag at the end of Ragnarok that that was, and it was confirmed. I think Taika Waititi confirmed shortly after Ragnarok came out. Yes, that is Thanos' ship. Yeah. I figured, okay, so Thanos has got to hit that ship probably in the, probably, if not, if not in the very opening moments of this movie, certainly within the first 10, 15 minutes. And my guess is that is the greatest amount of time that Loki will be in this movie because I guarantee as soon as he takes that ship, Loki's out. Right. Uh, so, so ding. Uh, <laughs> but but we get there in a, in a bit of a roundabout way that I had a lot of fun with. I don't know about you, but Loki echoing the we have a Hulk line yeah. was so phenomenally satisfying to me. Mm-hmm. And it is that because you open after after the ship has already been attacked. Yeah. He he uh uh he's already wiped out half of the Asgardians, which is the only reason because they acknowledge too, like later in the movie when Thor is telling the Guardians what happened. Yeah. He's acknowledging that Thanos wiped out half of them. So I guess there's still half half of the Asgardian people are still somewhere, right? I don't but like Here's my question. Know. Right, here's my question, right? If they were alive on the ship, they're not alive anymore. <laughs> Cuz well, that thing blew up. Yes, but we know that Asgardians are durable, so they could all just be floating in space um like assholes. My hope is that like Valkyrie got them all somewhere cuz we don't even mention Valkyrie in this movie. Right. And Valkyrie is the only one of our core, well, and Korg I suppose, but uh of our non-CG characters played by directors of other movies, uh Valkyrie is the only one that was standing with Thor on that bridge at the end of Ragnarok that yeah. we don't even get a, a reference to. But I assume there's enough that we do get about what what may have happened that, okay, she could have escaped. She could have been thrown away from the ship like Thor was. Yeah. She could have, once it became clear that half of them were going to be killed right away and half of them weren't, maybe it's like, okay, then let me get as many of these people as far away from here as I can, whatever. I have yeah. to assume that we're going to hear something about Valkyrie by the time we get to Avengers 4. Yeah, I'm sure that there's like a escape pod or something to that effect. But speaking of Hulk, I I really liked that they used that moment with the Hulk and Thanos to show how formidable formidable 
Thanos is. With one, now granted, he does have the power stone, but even with one infinity stone, he handily kicks Hulk's ass. Well, but he doesn't even use it. He, he basically boxes the Hulk into submission. Um, which essentially shook him so much that he wouldn't come out the, again. Right. He's basically, it's, they do an erectile dysfunction metaphor for the rest of the movie, but it's yeah. great. And Ruffalo, when he was doing press for Ragnarok, because they can't make a solo Hulk movie, he was talking about, especially going into Infinity War, the Russos were talking to him about, like the Russos and Marcus and McFeely were talking about what for you would be some things that you think are really interesting to explore about this character. And they had a lot of these conversations and they hashed out what what would essentially be a little trilogy for Hulk across Ragnarok, Infinity War, and whatever Avengers 4 is. Yeah. So I guess his storyline in this movie is a bit of a byproduct of those conversations. Okay, interesting. But so yeah, Hulk gets his ass kicked, which is new for him. Uh, and then Heimdall uses his last bit of magic to Bifrost Hulk away, which gets poor Heimdall killed. Yeah. Which, which again, though, and this is one thing I will say, most of, the, until we get to the very end, save one, all of the major deaths in this movie were to me foregone conclusions. Okay. I figured if Heimdall was in this movie, there's no way he lives. I figured I figured correctly that Loki was toast within the first 15 minutes. Yeah. There's no way Spo- by the way, did we mention spoilers? Uh it's like there's no way Vision makes it. There's yeah. literally no way. Uh Gamora was a surprise. That surprised yes. that surprised me a good deal. Right. Well, uh that takes me into we I we had talked a little bit before about like kind of addressing some of the overall theories that people had. Yes. And so like one of the big theories going around was that Heimdall was the soul stone I'm or had so, the soul stone. I'm so happy that they didn't pull some stupid nonsense twist shit like that. I really like that the soul the soul stone it was a bit it was an important part of the story, the location of the soul stone. Yes. And it would have felt like a really bullshit like hacky sleight of hand to make it like, oh, the soul stone's been right there all along. Like yeah. I'm, I'm very glad they did not take it that way. I agree. Um uh, yes. There was a rumor, because, a more recent rumor, that somehow Tony was the Soul Stone. And I like, right. What Tony Stark? Yes. And what your face is doing right now, that's what my face did when I read this this theory rumor thing. So I'm very glad they did not go in any of those directions. Yes, I agree. I mean, mostly because of just the sequence of, and now I'm moving into the Soul Stone. We're going to jump around, yeah. Um, because... I mean, we've already talked about where all the other ones were. So, like, the Soul Stone provided so many surprises that, like, I I, I, I find that since I, like, follow trades and talk to a bunch of nerds, like, I have a general sense of everything that it will usually kind of happen in a movie. Like, but the fact that, one, we were, we were able to be surprised by where it was, and we got that fucking insane so good return of red skull that boy red um, skull i like i couldn't believe it i think people in uh-huh. the first viewing someone threw their fist in the air and i couldn't see anything because a bunch of people were like <gasps> wavy wavy arm waves yeah yep, um, yep. there were a few things that i made real big facial expressions at yeah but my my it's like the metaphorical jaw hitting the floor, but literally I could feel my entire face extending. My yeah. facial expression was so big when Red Skull shows up because, of course, the fandom has been talking for years and years and years about how at the end of Captain America, the first Avenger, when Johann Schmidt holds the Tesseract in his bare hands and is disintegrated, it looks 
very, very much. If you understand like filmic visual language, yeah. what happened to him looks a great deal more like teleportation than full disintegration. Right. So there's been a great deal of speculation of like, well, where is Red Skull dead? Is he out there? Is he whatever? Is he ever going to, are we ever going to see Red Skull again? Every time a movie with Captain America is made, except for maybe Age of Ultron, there has been a question of, oh, is Red Skull going to come back? Is he going to, is, is Robert Redford secretly the Red Skull in Winter Soldier? Yeah. Or is Red Skull going to secretly be in league with Zemo in Civil War? Or like, will he come back in Infinity War somehow? And we just kind of, it was a fun thing to talk about, but I think most people assumed it wouldn't happen because Hugo Weaving expressed a pretty strong disinterest in coming back. Yeah. I think that he uh, he did an interview where he was saying it's not that he had a miserable time. It's just he felt like he was kind of done with it and he wouldn't be that interested in doing it again. Right. But he was like, I think I, I signed on for two or three of these. So if they wanted to make me come back and do it, I suppose they could. I guess good on them for not forcing him to come back if he didn't want to, because this is not Hugo Weaving. This is an actor named Ross Marquand, who I think most people probably know as Aaron on The Walking Dead. Right. He is also a, a supremely gifted mimic. And that is why I think so many people didn't realize, maybe still don't realize, that is not Hugo Weaving under the prosthetics and CG. Yeah, I didn't realize until I was doing research, um, which I did before I saw it again. And then, like, once I was in it and with that knowledge, I was like, okay, I can I can see slash hear a little bit of the difference. But, like, uh, if you didn't know, um, there's no reason to think it's not him. Right. And I'm I'm really not hot on recasting in general if we're meant to share continuity. Like, it, it bums me out that we have some recastings from phase one into phase two or even into the end of phase one. But... The Red Skull is a Red Skull. Yes. There there are characters you can get away with it for, and Red Skull is absolutely one of those characters. And I think Marquand did an absolutely wonderful job nailing the performance, but also adding to it the 70 plus years Red Skull has been imprisoned on, uh, on uh, oh God, what, I forget I forget the place that it's. Uh, I don't remember either. It's, it's on. Vol something. Vol, yeah. There are a couple of new. <laughs> A couple of new made-up words. Every word is made up. Every word is uh, made up. Uh, but a couple... Yeah, I don't remember right off the top of my head. It, it, I don't remember the name of the the, the Forge place either. Uh, it'll come back to me. This is stuff... I got as, I've seen the movie, the movie twice, and I still feel like I have to see it one more time to fully wrap my head around all of it. Uh, yeah, I, we were talking a little bit before we were recording, and I was telling you about how... The, sh the worst part about seeing a movie in a theater that you're going to talk about is that you can't, you literally can't take, can't notes. take notes. Yeah. Um, you can if it's like, room. if it's like the second week on a, like early on a weekday and there's barely anybody else in the theater and you're at the back, you could probably uh -huh. get away with it. Even then, like some guy is going to come up to you and be like, why are you using your phone as a flashlight? Oh, no, no, no. You, you can't. That's the thing though. It's like, you'd have to rely on the light from the screen. Yeah. And then no, just write it like longhand. That's not how I do it. I, I do, No, like I turn on, I write it longhand, but I turn on my phone's flashlight. La and I'm like, hold on, give me one second. Pause the movie. Pause the <laughs> and movie. And then you tap people in front and you're like, is this too bright? Like you shine it right in their face. Right. Is this too bright? Is this bothering you? Can I make a call back here? <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. I'm going to listen to the new Janelle Monet back here on my speakers. You just keep watching the movie. <laughs> uh uh, but, uh, yeah, so he's just been kind of kicking around, uh, this, this nether realm and he's, he sought the stones, right? Which is a, a, an interesting wrinkle. It's not a retcon because there's nothing in first Avenger that says this wasn't the case. He was clearly searching for the Tesseract, but apparently Schmidt was searching for all of the stones. Right. And when he gets teleported, he ends up where he's at and his punishment is he basically has to spend eternity, 
uh, guiding people towards this treasure he's guarding that he can never have. Yeah. And I thought Marquand did a fantastic job of replicating Weaving's performance as Schmidt, but also adding to it the weight of those 70 and change years because it's, it's, it's Schmidt's voice, but very just, just, uh, haunted and sullen and, and distant and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and yeah, just all, the weight of all of that coming through. And I thought that was a great, great, great performance, which was, it was imitation without being imitation, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. He was able to make it his own. Uh, the planet is called Vormir. Thank you. Vormir. Yeah. Because um, I kept thinking Vanaheim, and I'm like, no, that's the other place. Nah. Um, Boromir, that's right, because it sounds like Boromir, who's in the other sword magic franchise. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, ah, he's in the other magical jewelry franchise. Ooh. There we go. Uh, <laughs> this is now, uh, the MCU is now retroactively just the magical jewelry franchise. Right, of course. Um, but yeah, so uh, I was reading an interview with the... Um, composer of the score for Infinity War, and he was uh, talking Alan about uh, yes, who also did he did the music for Captain America: The First Avenger and also the first Avengers movie. Like he is the composer of the Avengers theme, which for me personally is is now it's up there with with Star Wars, with Indiana Jones, with Superman, with Back to the Future, with all of the most iconic. You know, like even if you're not the biggest fan of the movie or you don't like have an encyclopedic knowledge of it, but this, uh, there's a piece of film music that is so iconic that every time you hear it, there's that like boom, that moment of recognition. And sometimes if it does really mean something to you, it gives you chills for a second. Yeah. Yeah, the Avengers theme is like that for me. Literally every time I hear it, I still get chills. So when they announced that they were bringing Sylvester back, because they brought on Brian Tyler, who did a lot of music for Phase 2. They brought him on to compose for Age of Ultron. Then they brought in Danny Elfman a little bit later to to supplement a lot of his compositions. But the, when they announced they were bringing back Sylvester, I got very, very excited. Um. Yes. So he was doing an interview, and he was talking about how difficult it was to like the the hardest time he had scoring was the scene with Thanos and Gamora on uh the two towers hill the two, yes um because essentially there was a there's a lot of emotion happening in that scene uh where basically he you you see it from the moment that Thanos has the realization and he's he's really like considering his like there's a, a stillness in him where as in Grimora she is reveling in this moment and it's just those two disparate pieces that really like uh gave him trouble when composing it yeah and and you talk about that scene actually but before we get away from the, the score I also think it's very interesting almost almost every bit of music in this movie is uh, Alan Silvestri composition save for two pieces of music if you look in the credits, uh, I don't know if you noticed either time. Uh, yeah. Songs. One, yeah. There are two. One of them is uh, was a rubber band man. It's the song that intros the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And because you're working on Infinity War, the culmination of a decade of work done by a number of filmmakers, and because at the time they were making Infinity War, you still had a lot of the other uh, late Phase Three movies in various stages of production. Yeah, uh, they were having all these conversations with James Gunn and Taika Waititi and Ryan Coogler and John Watts and and everybody who was making these movies, uh, so they could have input. And I think that's part of why it all feels so 
so much. Like they all did step out of their own movies totally seamlessly. Yeah. Uh, James Gunn, I guess, gave the Russos a couple. I think they asked James Gunn for some song options to intro the Guardians of the Galaxy. And that was one of the three he gave them. Yeah. Uh, And the only other piece of credited music that is not an Alan Silvestri composition, he very wisely kept Ludwig Göransson's Black Panther theme for our introduction, a reintroduction to Wakanda, which I think was a very smart move on his part. Mm -hmm. Um, But so talking about that scene uh, where he makes a realization that he has to sacrifice Gamora. Uh, so so Infinity War really plays as a sequel primarily to Civil War, Thor Ragnarok, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I, w- I would say, primarily. Okay. Yeah. Given everything we learn about Nebula and Gamora's relationship with each other and about their relationship with Thanos and everything that we see about their the Thanos and Gamora backstory in this movie— I don't think I've let myself sit in like the reality of if this is, if this is the end, if this is a death that sticks. And I, I think, and we can talk about the ending of this movie. I think some of these deaths will very obviously not stick. I think some of them will. I think it's pretty likely that every, every death that comes before Thanos snaps his fingers is permanent. Yeah. I think. I have not really allowed myself to sit too long in the reality of what that means for Gamora's story. And I think, I'm not saying I think it was a bad way to go. I'm just saying it's so devastating. Yeah. It is so devastating that after all of it, her story ends that way. It is so, so devastating. Mm -hmm. And I truly don't think that I have like, I I don't think I'm letting myself quite go there yet. Yeah. Because it's, it's, ooh. Um, But also too, what it tells you about, about like Thanos really believes this is the right thing. He's not doing it because he wants to hurt people. His whole, his whole MO, he talks about how, and this is something I didn't really catch the first time. Uh, the second time I, I caught it. He talks about when he was, when he was on Titan, he was warning everybody about what's going to happen. If your population, if our population keeps growing unchecked, we will destroy ourselves. We will breed ourselves into catastrophe and extinction. We have to stop this. And his solution, as Dr. Strange refers to it, is is like your solution was genocide. And he he basically, his argument was, and he says, like he tells Gamora uh, in their conversation, he did it to her planet. And when he went back to the planet later, after wiping out half of all life on that planet, the people that were left, the next generation, those children only knew full bellies and clean skies, and it was a paradise. Mm-hmm. He truly believes this is the right thing, and not for nothing. I I do kind of think if you look at our world, most of the problems facing us as a society would be, if not solved outright, yeah, made far, far, far easier to manage if half the people on the planet suddenly disappeared. Right. The problem you run into is there is literally no version of that that isn't it. It, it 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 defies credulity the scale on which that is monstrous the words i feel do not exist to properly encapsulate how hideously monstrous that is and so of course even though you could argue that maybe it would help the way he suggests you can't do that right well the issue also is that it's a temporary solution right because eventually they'll get to that point again and and what you're just going to do it again you're just going to come back and wipe half of them out again right but that doesn't seem to be his plan his plan is just no, to, he seems to, to do think it that, once. right he seems to think he's he, one time and then he just gets to watch the sunrise on a on a balanced and grateful and happy universe and i guess that's it 
Right. But I mean, I like that there is a certain amount of conviction that like he thinks that he is the uh, the like unsung thankless hero of the universe. You know, like he thinks that once he does this and and maybe his his idea is that like everyone will see how uh how effective it was and change the way that they exist moving forward they'll be like all right cool let's put some sweet caps on how many people have babies we see how much that's worked out someone should talk to him about like i don't know japan or china i don't know whatever um china yes i know but like both um but anyways uh oh um, oh but i did want to say the, the the part that i didn't catch the first time it, the, his whole plan obviously i caught the first time uh the part that i didn't catch the first time was that what happened on Titan wasn't what he did. What happened on Titan was he was right. Yeah. And they wiped themselves out. Right. And so like, he's got something he can point to. Like there's no, there's no part of what Thanos is doing that is evil for the sake of evil. There's no part of what Thanos is doing that he, in his mind can't point to something as evidence of his, uh, that justifies what he's doing. Right. Um, and so he so believes in it that he will sacrifice the one thing he may truly love, which is Gamora. And you see Thanos shed tears. And at first, when Red Skull tells him he has to sacrifice something that he loves, Gamora laughs because she thinks that this is him getting what he deserves. It's like, you you lived your life this way, you love nothing, and now, haha, that's your undoing, you son of a bitch. Right. And she doesn't, even she doesn't see all the layers of Thanos. Mm-hmm. Thanos truly, Thanos is a monster literally and also he's a big giant purple guy but like uh but he's also like he, he he does truly monstrous things yeah but he is also capable of love mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't love in a healthier constructive or supportive way but he still loves her right and even she even she didn't understand that because and she says like this isn't love it is in its own weird sick monstrous way it's not healthy love for sure it's not the type of love i want but it in its own way it is and he is it's it's interesting uh three times in this movie yeah three times somebody is put in the horrible position of having to kill somebody that they love and only thanos succeeds um star lord thanos and who else wanda uh yes. Now Wanda well, Wanda arguably Wanda doesn't really succeed. She she succeeds but then unsuccees. Right. That by the way, cuz just cuz we're jumping around. Uh I love 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 what they've done with the characters of Vision and Scarlet Witch in these movies. Yeah. Um there was a lot of speculation in Ultron because in the comics Vision and Scarlet Witch are a big hot item. Uh were they, are they going to try and do something like that in these movies and we we only got a quick moment between the two of them really uh, at the end of Ultron where he saves her yeah. and we get a, we get more stuff with the two of them in, in civil, civil war, war yeah. where their relationship is, cl- is not romantic, but they clearly have a closeness. And now of course in, in infinity war, they have a full blown, uh, very discreet uh, secret romance going. Uh, yeah. Um, but yes, uh, going back really quickly, just because yeah. I wanted to say, um, Gamora also ki- shows that she still has emotions for him as well. Like when she, when they do the fake out of her killing Thanos, she like weeps. she weeps, yeah, yeah, um, because 
even though he is a he is a monstrous person, he also did raise her. He raised her as his favorite daughter. Right, and it's like she she hates him, but at the same time, it is not that simple because right. you see, you see, like in that that flashback scene where they meet for the first time, you see he's even as he's having her look away as her people, probably her her neighbors, her family, as they're being slaughtered. Yeah, he's being very kind to her, and he's being very charismatic, and he's really drawing her in, and you can you can totally see how. Up right up until the moment he turns on you, you could totally buy that this is this is my father, this is my friend, and then 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 you know Thanos gonna Thanos I suppose, but like it's very right. it's very complicated. It's it's very much the same as any, any abusive relationship. It's like oh why don't you just get away from that person? It's not that fucking simple. Yeah, your feelings about this person, even if you know how horrid their behavior is, how destructive and dangerous their behavior is, that doesn't necessarily mean it's as simple as flipping a switch and not feeling more than just hatred for that person. Yeah. And yeah, so I love I love that and I oh god, Zoe Saldana's performance too in that scene. She, oh yeah. She believes she's killed Thanos. She believes that she has killed uh uh the the source of every bit of agony and misery and pain that she carry, carries around with her every single day. She does it and in the moment where she thinks she's done it, she becomes a little girl again. Yeah. And it's and it's heartbreaking to watch and doubly heartbreaking because even before Thanos pulls back that curtain, you know, cause Peter Quill is like, well, that was quick. Like, yeah. you, you know, the movie's not over. <laughs> so, you know, even while you're watching her break down, believing fully that she has just killed Thanos, uh, you know, it's like your, your heart breaks for her because of the state that it's reduced her to. And your heart doubly breaks because you know, in like two seconds, the rug is going to get pulled out from under her. Yeah. <sighs> it's yeah. It's ugh, sad, but that also kind of st- still talking about Thanos. Oh, I'm sorry. The thing is that, that specific scene. <laughs> so I guess the collector is just dead. Like before they got there, the collector is just dead. Yep. Probably. Yeah. I like that. They or must he was have... like out. He, he may have just like left. I guess. I feel like, I feel like the, the conversation they were having in the illusion was probably a version of what happened when Thanos got there. Yeah. And my guess is he just killed him. Probably. Uh, but I love I love that, like, they probably shot more with Benicio Del Toro that day, but I love that Benicio Del Toro is in, what, a, a minute and a half of the movie, maybe, yeah. and he's just there to, like, whimper for a second and get thrown in a cage. Right. He also does the magnificent <laughs> and, like, magnificent. waves. Yeah. It's cute. Uh, oh, in that scene, yeah. first time I saw the movie, I was looking at the credits, and at the end of the credits, there is a thing at the end, uh, character from Arrested Development used with permission of Fox. And I was like, what? Yeah. There's a character from Arrested Development. Have you ever watched Arrested Development? Uh, yes, I have. Phenomenal show. Uh, if you guys haven't watched it, I think it's all on Netflix. Go check it out. Absolutely wonderful. Um, but uh, the Russos came up through like Arrested Development Arrested, and also Community, but uh, Arrested Development. Yeah. And they put the Bluth family stair car in the airport scene in Civil War, like as an Easter egg. It's in the background of a couple shots. Okay. In the scene where they're first showing up at the Collector's Museum where they're all sneaking in. There's a shot of Gamora walking down this hallway and over her shoulder camera left, you see Tobias Funke, David Cross's character in full blue man group makeup in one of the cases. Oh really? Yeah. I did not see that. And then the second I looked that up and then the second time I saw it, I went and I looked for it and it's there. Nice. A lot of fun. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that scene specifically, um, kind of going back to, to Thanos, Thanos's character there he 
he doesn't seem to kill when he does when he doesn't need to. Um, depends. He kill he'll kill people sometimes to make a point or because they did some silly shit they shouldn't have in his view. Like he only he probably would have let Heimdall live if he hadn't bifrosted Hulk away. Right. It seemed like Thanos was basically done with killing for the day at that point. Yes. There's a decent chance he might have let Loki live. Same. Yeah. Because Loki, Loki specifically attacked him. Like Loki had if Loki hadn't come out when he had. Thanos probably would have just forgotten about him anyways. Right. Um, and that's and that's the thing, too, is like you, you could have argued Thanos, if you're Thanos and you're OK with killing people, uh, but also do right. It's ah, oh, this is a good character because he's not he really isn't into murder for the sake of murder. Right. He will kill you, but it doesn't not he'll just like hit you and knock you out of the way if he can do that instead. Right. Uh, but. You'd think, like, well, if he was just a mustache twirling villain, no, like, Loki failed to bring him the Tesseract. So he could just kill him for that. They threaten him as the other, the, the dude, Thanos' little, like, hype dude in Avengers, yeah. who's the one pushing Loki around the whole movie. He's like, if you fail, if you don't bring us the Tesseract, you know, basically, it's just a, he, right. a dressed yeah, up yeah. way of saying, we're going to torture and kill you. So for that alone, I, I figured, well, Thanos might just want to kill him and punish him. But no, at the end of Ragnarok, Loki gets the Tesseract back and he delivers it to Thanos. Right. So he he did it. And like, yeah, very real, very real chance that Loki would not have died if he had not tried to attack Thanos in that moment. Yeah. Also, if you're going to attack someone, do it more sneakily, bro. Come on, Loki. You just like, why don't you use use a use use a uh, illusion? Come on, bro. But I also what are you think doing? I think Come in on, that bro. moment though. But I think in that moment, Loki knew what was about to happen. I I really I think that's why he looks at Thor the way he does. And I, I think know. that's why I think that's why he has that pause before he says, you know, I'm Loki, Prince of Asgard. He pauses. He looks at Thor and he says, Odin's son. And then turns, he's like, it talks about being like rightful king of Jotunheim and right. all that. Yeah. He, and I think it had, I don't, but I don't know. I still don't know what exactly he was hoping to accomplish, but he, I think he knew what was about to happen. And even though, yeah, there was no way Loki wasn't toast in this movie uh, pretty early. Pretty upsetting to watch. Yeah. That was pretty harrowing. He literally gets picked up by the neck and Thanos chokes him to death with, yeah. with one hand. Yeah, that's it's pretty upsetting. brutal. Yeah, um, but yeah, but even when uh, Thanos is fighting everyone on Titan, and when he is essentially making a beeline towards um, towards Vision, he's just like knocking them back. Exactly. There's never a point. Like he could, with the the flick of his wrist, just blow them all away. Right, and he and he doesn't. He does in the sense that like he just scatters them off to the side or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, in the in the scene on nowhere, like he could very easily have killed Drax and Mantis with the same wave of his hand, but yeah. he just makes them crumble for a minute and then they're fine. Yeah. yeah. On Titan, he just keeps beating everybody up. Like, you know, like he doesn't yeah, like he doesn't actually try to kill anybody unless there's a an immediate like unless unless you really make him mad, I think. Right. Then, then, yeah, he's like, all right, well, fine, dude. Like, I was going to let you live, but now, like, if you if you keep pushing me, all right, you're dead now. Right. And so knowing that about his character, when you go back and look at his interactions with uh, Rowan the Accuser, uh, Ronan? Ronan. Ronan the Accuser, um, he's being really, like, condescending and kind of douchey, but it's mostly because Ronan is an asshole to him. 
Like, he keeps being like, you're not so cool. I'm Ronan. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, like, of course Thanos gets annoyed and is like, look, boy. He's literally like, your arrogance bores me. Your demeanor <laughs> is that of a pouty child. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, yeah. speak. And also, unre- er, I'm transitioning now. Um, we got a lot of really... Uh, like a lot of interesting pairings leading up to like the the main confrontation. Um, I liked that it wasn't just the Guardians hanging out with an Avenger, but it was it was like you got Thor hanging out with Rocket and Groot. Yeah, you got the main Guardians hanging out with um, with who are they hanging out with? Tony and Peter and Doctor oh, Strange. Yeah, I love. By the way, love that Tony and Doctor Strange don't like each other. It makes complete sense. It makes complete sense because both of them, both the Stephen Strange and Tony Stark are fairly similar, but it seems like the way the two of them grew, the the weaknesses that they each know they still possess, they see present in the other, or or not that they still possess the weaknesses that they know they have grown past yeah. that they possess possessed that they have grown past they see in the other right and and there is almost there's nothing that's going to make you dislike somebody faster than seeing what you feel are your flaws reflected back at you in them right and i also though i also feel like it was tony and the the kid bunch like tony was the only grown-up in this in this scenario because the guardians they like to wing it and so they're all like kid people and then uh Doctor Strange, for some reason, was like, I'm not going to cooperate with anyone. I only care about the stone. And so, like, Tony had to kind of corral this group of disparate I, I feel like Strange is just as much apparent in this group. I just feel like he doesn't really give a shit about what everybody else is doing. He's like, Tony, Tony fits in, even though he clearly doesn't love the guardians that much one of my favorite things in any mcu movie is now the way when they get to titan yeah and there's that question of like what what do you guys even do and uh there's that line about like we take we, names and kick ass no we kick yeah kick we, names, we kick and, names take and take ass. ass yeah yeah and just that look, the look that on he tony's has. face yes just this this completely nonverbal in the camera just hangs on him for a second and you watch him process it's just all on his face just Oh, holy, holy shit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> holy shit. It's so good. Oh yeah. That like I busted a gut the first time it happened. Like it was a, it's a fairly silent moment. So in the theater, all you could hear was like her do her line and then silence and me going. <laughs> uh, no one else. Just you. Um, no, just me. Uh, um, I also feel like, um, Doctor Strange was playing a game of like 4D chess. This, by the way, this is very much comic book Doctor Strange. Like yeah. w- far more so than, and it makes sense because it's an origin story. We gotta we gotta get him to that Doctor Strange. But this this Doctor Strange is the dude who in the comics he's always he is he's always playing fourth, fifth, seventh dimensional chess. Right. He's always seeing the outcomes way ahead of everybody else because that's his job. His job is to see these outcomes before everybody else. So he can best defend the Earth from mystical threats. He is the guy who always knows what he's doing, even when it seems. It's crazy. It seems completely wrong, completely counterintuitive and backwards. He knows what he's doing because he is just that hyper competent. Right. 
that is this Doctor Strange. And I loved that we got this Doctor Strange. We got a taste of it in his brief appearance in Ragnarok, but we really get to play with that Doctor Strange in this. And he gets to do some seriously badass shit in this movie. Yeah. Um, and I also like that they had... So one of the questions I had had when they were fighting uh, Thanos is like, why not just trap him in the mirror dimension? And they like they address it in a very subtle way. It's not he, like, like he's like, tries mirror to, dimension! He throws the mirror dimension at him. Yeah. And Thanos just like, fuck off with this. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> reality stone, bitch! What is this bullshit disco ball you're throwing at me? Get out of here. Um, but I... So... It, so you're led to believe, like on first viewing, I was like, he's just an asshole. But on second viewing, I realized that like when he was doing his viewing of the future timelines, like there's a chance that he saw beyond the moment of the snap, but like also the Thanos's ultimate defeat. Mm-hmm. He, he, I think that's pretty explicit, right? Like if you, and again, we're, we're jumping all the way around, but, uh, he says just before he dissolves and Tony's like, why, why did you, why did you give him the stone? Uh, Strange tells him this, this was the only way. So yeah. he, he looked into all of the possible futures. He saw however many hundreds of millions and of those hundreds of millions, only one scenario is one in which they win, yeah. in which they defeat Thanos. And apparently the only way they defeat Thanos involves handing over the time stone. Right. Uh, but yeah, like I, I loved, I loved that. And I, again, I love their relationship with each other. I love, I love the moments we got with him and Wong, even though Wong is only in like the very opening of the movie. And then he's like, I got to protect the sanctum. Yeah. Any, any pieces. Uh, yeah, all of that, all of that's great. I liked, uh, I liked, I liked, I liked everybody reacting to the Cape was great. The cloak of levitation. Oh yeah. Was pretty nice. Um, Yeah. Um, I also, in terms of like groups being together, I really missed Okoye and just seeing her react to everyone, especially when we get, um, Bannon in the Hulk suit and his just like falling over. Um, I also like that we, we got a Hulk in a Hulkbuster that like really made my heart sing i like i like and he trips over the thing in the middle of the line but he's like this i think i'm getting the hang of this it's great it's like being the hulk but not really yeah um and i love too i love too that banner defeats cull obsidian as banner mm-hmm. i like that a lot um uh man i loved but talking about okoye i love when uh she and black widow and scarlet witch uh are taken down proxima midnight but even before that when scarlet witch shows up and she uses her magic to like use the big giant spike wheel things yeah and just throws them on either side of them and wipes out all the outriders and okoye mm-hmm. is like why was she up there the whole time <laughs> sublime perfect um, I could have used more Shuri, though. Okay, so this is this is the thing. I could have used more of a lot of people, but yeah. again, it's like, all right, so this this was a Thanos movie. I have to assume that Avengers 4, because that's when we are going to be saying goodbye to a, a handful of people. Yeah. That's going to be far more of an Avengers movie, and I assume we'll get more of it. Because, yeah, I could have used more Shuri, too. I could have used more of most of the Avengers. I feel like Cap was not in this movie very much. Or at least he did not have all that much to do. I love him in it, as I always love Captain America, but I feel like he didn't have much to do. Yeah. I feel like Black Widow was barely in this movie. I feel like Falcon was in even less of the movie than that. <laughs> you Falcon, I think Falcon has maybe five lines in this thing. Uh, Yeah, one of them is, that's awkward. Yeah, that's um, awkward. One of them is, can you stand? 
<laughs> and, that's, and that's not that's a, uh, the hotels weren't exactly five stars right that's three he may only have two more lines in this entire thing maybe and that's so again it's like look this is a Thanos story and we have to balance so many different moving parts yeah like Bucky's barely in it at all uh, and everyone gets a fun beat you know but like yeah we don't spend very much time with a great many of our characters and not for nothing Apparently, like these these sequences they're talking about, like there's one action scene that features 60 characters. I guess that's in Avengers four or are they counting these the cross cutting from Titan to Wakanda to space, whatever? Are they counting all of that as one scene? Maybe. But there's still a number of faces that I thought were going to be appearing in this movie that aren't that presumably they're saving for the next one. It's where Hawkeye was not in this movie. Well, yes, he and Scott cut a deal, etc. Right. Oh, sidebar though, right? So that w- definitely uh, means Ant-Man and the Wasp is set before Infinity War, right? Because I think in the one teaser trailer, we see little glimpses of Scott on house arrest. My assumption is it takes place bef- after Civil War, before Infinity War. And if I had to guess right now, until and unless like the next trailer is like, you remember when everybody got raptured last month? Right. Uh, my guess is it's set before and either at the very end of the movie or more likely in one of the, the credit scenes, you start to see some people like Hank Pym gets raptured or some shit. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's weird to me that they're not in it at all, but of course they'll be in the next one, I guess. Well, yeah. And you could, I mean, and that's why I assumed that they were holding them back is so that there, there were actually people left over to kind of keep going once though. I did really want, and this is probably says more about me, but I did really want, uh, a scene. So you remember when they cut to the hut that Thanos is living in now? Yeah, at the very end. Um, I part of me was hoping that that was um, Hawkeye's uh, farm. For, oh my and god! You for were just for half s- a second, I had the exact same thought. Yeah, and you just see him with like ashes in his hand, crying. Oh god, over and his family it, like, and children. To- yeah. <laughs> It would have been so good. And um, then and then it's he does the same shit that Thor does when he shows up at the battle. He like it, all the ashes fall out of his hands and he looks up and he grabs his bow and he's like, Bring me Thanos and it goes to the credits. Uh yeah, just like that. Uh, Infinity um, Hawk. Um but yeah, not not in the movie at all. No. I mean, yeah, I would like my roommate and I were uh assuming that uh, uh Ant Man and Wasp like it, you get probably about through the first act, and then Scott and Hank disappear, and it's just a wasp movie. I did. It did occur to me at a certain point that there's a very real chance that like maybe Ant Man isn't in Avengers four until the very end because he gets raptured with a bunch of people. Maybe. Um, I think what's most likely to happen is that essentially at the end of like Ant Man is gonna have his story, and like at in the end credit, you're gonna get. Um, Captain Marvel coming and being like, we need you. Yes. And then they'll be like, oh shit, Captain Marvel's coming soon. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So that's that's my assumption. Um, but I, I, I can't not talk about uh, this moment, since we're still talking about pairings and things. Yeah. Um, that moment with Rocket and Thor, where Thor is recounting everyone who has died, um, and he's like about to cry, um, that moment got me so hard because, like, it's a it's a wonderful piece of performance by Hemsworth. Yeah, like a wonderful piece of performance. Right, and everyone. So everyone was talking during 
or after Ragnarok about how every every sad thing or every serious moment was undercut by a joke, and then which you, I disagree with, but I de- I think it's true in a couple places. Yes. Right. Um. And but yeah. And then you get this moment where uh, he's basically recounting how much has gone through since the beginning of like Thor one to now and how much loss he has suffered. And like, it's, it's, we go through the list, right? It's like, Oh yeah. my, my brother and my father uh, and my sister at best friend stabbed through the heart. Yeah. Uh, oh, but you got your mother, right? Murdered by a dark elf. Yeah. Uh, and you, in in that moment, you also realize that the jokey, um, like light Thor that we we we've come to like grow into over the last few movies is for the most part it is in a way a a like a shield to to for him to run away from his pain through. Yeah, yeah, in a sense. Which sad. Yes, sad. yes, it, yeah, and it's interesting too. Like it's interesting to see where Rocket is right because like at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, as I described, it gets me real emotional. The note that we leave him on this this moment of oh my god, maybe I can be loved. Yeah. And he starts to open himself up a little bit more. And Rocket, Rocket, because Guardians Volume 2 is apparently only set a couple of months after Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Yeah. So now, by the time we get to Infinity War, and actually the the adolescent Groot credit scene in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is also like a, a few years after that. Um, so, so Rocket's, Rocket's been growing and Rocket's been developing and Rocket, I think is a lot more, he's a lot, he's still, they all, they all give each other shit, but Rocket is definitely less of a dick, like pointedly less of a dick. They all make fun of Quill for, for being fat, I guess. Uh, but, (laughs) but he's definitely less bitter. He's definitely less calloused and he's got that response. Like when, when he asked if Thor's up for it and he says like, yes, uh, he's like, yes, I'm totally up for it. And Rock is basically, well, what if you're wrong? And he says, well, if I'm wrong, then what else do I have to lose? And it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And he gets it, which, by the way, that shit makes me nervous because it almost feels like Hem- Thor and, by extension, Hemsworth saying goodbye. Right. Uh, but um, Rocket has that moment where he, uh, uh, Thor walks away and <laughs> under his breath, he's like, well, you know, I, I, I could lose some things. I mean, personally, <laughs> I could lose some things. And two two things uh one that i think is a really good marker of how much rocket has grown like he's actually like what he has to lose is his newfound family and he finally i think accepts the guardians as his family even though they're all pains in each other's asses yeah i think he's really has opened himself up far more than he ever thought he was capable of what happens at the end of this movie rocket loses all of them he doesn't he doesn't know that he lost all of them but rocket loses all of them yeah, that I yeah I didn't realize every guardian except Rocket. for Rocket died until the second viewing because like it was hard to keep track of everyone who had passed like the first because it was just like person after person after person and then and there's something I want to talk about what I find very interesting about the selections they made oh, really? uh, some that's very, yeah very very interesting and it is almost certainly no accident 
uh, but we'll we'll get there because I I think I want to talk about the ending last, and I feel like as far as big things, I feel like there's only a couple more like observations I want to hit. Okay. Because again, this is all still I saw it twice. This is still fresh, right? Like we want to get we want to we wanted to talk about it because we know everybody's going to be talking about it. But I feel like I'm going to be processing this movie and turning it over and over and over in my head for a while. Yeah. Um, there are a number of things I can point to that I think are worth shouting out, just as far as like, like okay, for example. Yeah, I would say get them out. Uh, and then we'll hit the ending. We have about like five, ten minutes left. Great. I'm going to do f- four. I'm going to say four, and I'm gonna. that's how I'm going to remember if I forgot one. Okay. Great. I already forgot them, so let's see if I can piece it back together. Cool. Uh, Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Two things that I didn't really think about. Actually, one one I thought about the first time. The other I didn't think about till the second time. Uh, for After the title hit, actually, fifth thing, love that they kept the title hit from the first two Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. I didn't know because it's not it's not Whedon. It's the Russos. Didn't know if they were going to keep some of the same choices like that. Yeah. Love that we still got the same Avengers title hit, the letters turn like in Age of Ultron and we get our, our major. T- I like that. I geek out about titles and okay. I mean like title treatments and yeah. I don't know why, but I, I geek out about that. Um, but after the title hit, we see Tony Stark and Pepper and they are jogging in the park together. Tony talks about, and by the way, there's no way this doesn't come back in the next one. Tony talks about how he had this intensely vivid dream about how they had a kid. Yeah. I feel like I feel, and I'm going to roll my eyes and I'm probably going to be crying while I roll my eyes. Uh, I, I can almost guarantee you that somehow comes back in Avengers four, like pepper is going to be expecting. And then like something happens to Tony or some shit. I don't right. know. But, uh, pepper is like, well, if, yeah, if you wanted to have a kid, you wouldn't have done that. And she taps the reactor on his chest. Mm-hmm. Tony Stark for all his growth, his post-traumatic stress is so, severe and still so informs the way he makes decisions and approaches his life the thought that he and pepper might have a family uh, and not that he's not open to it i think it's clearly something that he's open to and maybe even wants that's more that's more to lose that's more to keep safe he is so he is so continually driven by his desire to be responsible for and protective of absolutely everything. He shoved another arc reactor into his chest so that he could have the nanotech bleeding edge suit on him 24 seven. Right. We don't we we lampshade how weird it is that he put the thing in there. And he literally he says, like, no, it's just more a little more security, a little more safety. But like if you've been tracking this whole journey holy shit fuck tony fuck stop this stop this but on the same on the same uh note i didn't realize until the second time i watched it tony has the flip phone on him yeah tony has the flip phone with steve rogers number on him yeah tony had no way of knowing when he went out to go jogging with pepper that day that that was going to be the day that thanos launches his invasion to take the infinity stones and dr strange shows up in the park and says tony we have to we have to do this we need to get in touch with steve rogers yeah no way of knowing that so i take that to mean that tony stark as a little added bit of security has that phone on or near his person at all times right i like that yeah. Uh, sidebar, this was not one of my things. This is an ancillary thing. Uh, every one, every time they make a big one of these, it feels like, wow. It's like, well, I thought the last one was a perfect realization of what reading a big comic book crossover feels like on screen. Oh, no, it's this. Yeah. The moment, weirdly, weirdly, even more than that moment, the shot, the circle shot of the team in the first Avengers movie, the moment that really I went, oh, wow, 
oh, they did it. They cracked the code. It wasn't even a giant moment in this movie. It was when they're fighting in the park. Yeah. This and it's, this is exactly what reading Marvel comics is like. Uh, Doctor Strange and Iron Man are fighting aliens in Central Park, and all of a sudden, boom, Spider-Man shows up. Spider-Man mm-hmm. just happens to be swinging by and is like, what's going on? And suddenly, Spider-Man's a part of this fight, too. Right. When Spider-Man pops, it's like, hey, man. And he like it pops out and it starts joining the fight. I was like, oh, wow, they... Yeah, they cracked the code. <laughs> like this, Infinity War feels more than any other movie that they've made, which uh, I would argue means pretty explicitly more than any other movie in history. Infinity War feels very much like what it's like to read a big multi-book comic book crossover. Yeah. Okay, so hang on. Did one, did two. Okay, three is uh, that scene where, okay, okay, boom. Here's how I'm going to frame this. People talking about consequences, right? People talking about these movies don't have lasting consequences. You yeah. heard me. You heard my what I have to say about people who say there's no stakes. Yes. You want to talk about consequences, man? When they're fighting Thanos on Titan. Yeah. They damn near get that thing off his hand. Just them. If Peter Quill hadn't had a fucking meltdown, and by the way, I love that scene so much, and I don't understand. There are a couple of people that I'm seeing are apparently saying they think that scene breaks Peter's character. That's 100% his character. I would argue they should go check out Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and then come back. Uh, But uh, no, I thought that was absolutely in keeping with his character. It was absolutely perfect. It was a devastating moment for Peter. It was an infuriating moment for you as an audience member, because even though you get it, he, he... fucks the whole thing up right you want to talk about consequences right if if captain america and iron man don't have their falling out in civil war if the avengers don't fracture if the avengers are not split and half of them are on the run when thanos shows up the avengers are all together and if tony stark spider-man doctor strange and a couple of the guardians of the galaxy were almost able to get that gauntlet off of him without the rest of the avengers if they were all still united, I'm pretty sure this would have been a much shorter movie. Right. Interesting. That scene I thought was phenomenal. I thought uh, all of these big scenes are phenomenal. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, one more sidebar before we get to the last thing that was on my list, which is basically the ending as a whole. Yeah. Um, uh, did you did you check it out in any type of premium format? Just a regular theater? Just a regular theater. So I saw it opening night in IMAX, and I had gotten tickets for it at the same time for the second night, but... I didn't realize or I'd completely forgotten that I got them for the second night in IMAX as well. I'm very glad I did that. If you and you, Tari, but you, if you're listening, if you have an opportunity to go check out Infinity War in IMAX, I urge you strongly to do so. It was shot with and I'm I'm a bit of a layman when it comes to very specific cameras uh, or very specific new cameras. Anyway, there's a new, a, a pretty new IMAX camera that they shot the entire movie on. So it is, it is formatted for IMAX screens okay. and holy shit, does it look mind blowing on a large format screen? I highly encourage you to go check that out. That was my, that was my little sidestep. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk about, uh, about the ending. Cause, cause yeah. Wow. So you said that there are, there, you think that there is intention behind which people were chosen? Oh, there's definitely intention, but I think I understand up to a point what the intention is. Go on. Or I, I understand some of the math at play here. Okay. So, okay. So, uh, first, just just uh, let's let's take a second and uh, yes, obviously this is very much a part one of two. Uh, 
that despite all recent claims to the contrary, this is very much part one of two. But I, regardless, I love the fact that they made a multi-million dollar movie that they really need to make over a billion dollars to be considered a success. And right. it's a movie in which Thanos is the protagonist. He accomplishes his goal, kills half of the Avengers and wins. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. Holy shit. So, okay, let's talk about what that what that entails. Thanos gets all of the Infinity Stones. Uh, Thor, by the way, I don't know about you, biggest applause of the entire movie came uh, when Thor and Rocket and Groot enter that battle in Wakanda oh, yeah. by a lot. And not for nothing, we get to see Thor, I think for the first time, It's and much more so than we see in the end of Ragnarok, we get to see Thor go full God of Thunder with Stormbreaker and Lightning, and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Thor should have gone for the head because homeboy could have probably ended all of this business if he just put Stormbreaker into Thanos' face instead of his chest. Or chopped off his arm. We don't love Thor because he's smart. <laughs> I know. I'm just... Well, because like it's that that moment. And also, we going back to the Peter Quill, if instead of punching him with your gun, shoot him in the face, right. it could have been over as well. Right. So but again, like, we don't love any of these characters because they're smart. I know. We don't even love the smart ones because they're smart. Maybe. Oh, here's another a real quick sidestep thing since we're moving into the end. So I went into this assuming that we'd get more core Avenger deaths than we got. We didn't get any if we're talking about like our core lineup from the original Avengers. Right. Well, yeah, all the phase one people are alive. So, but hang on. So I'm going to, I'm going to get to why I think that's interesting. Uh, but I thought for a second and I'm, and I'm glad that they didn't, cause I don't think this really would have been dramatically sound, but th there was a moment where it looked very much like Tony Stark was about to punch the clock. Uh, he makes a sword with his armor and Thanos puts it through him. Right. And because I think we all went into this movie, assuming there was a very real chance some of our favorite Avengers would be killed. And I think they were playing on that expectation. People thought that was it. And there was one dude in the, the opening night when I saw it, every, uh, you heard a reaction from the whole audience. There was one person somewhere off in the darkness who went, no, and they <laughs> meant that shit. It Aww. was nuts. Uh, but, uh, uh, okay. So yes, uh, uh, Dr. Strange makes the, makes the trade with the time stone and then, okay, fuck this business with vision where Wanda ends up having to kill vision for nothing. Right. But how that it fucked me up, man, like vision telling her it's OK. You could never hurt me. I just feel you. Mm -hmm. And then telling her the whole time, just repeating it's it's OK. It's OK. And then telling her, I think, for the first time, this this machine who in a weird way ends up being more human some of the time than any of the human characters. Finally, I, I assume for the first time tells Wanda that he loves her and yeah. then and then he dies. And it's it's devastating. But for half a half a second, for half a second, the movie even lets you go, that was, that was horrible, but okay, okay, she did it, she did it, she did it. And motherfucker just uses that time stone. It's like, <laughs> oh no, you son of a bitch. And then, and then he brings Vision back just to rip it out of his head. Right. And kill him. And yeah, Vision's dead as shit. Um, and that's, that's upsetting. That's super upsetting. But now he's got all the stones, he snaps his fingers, and he does it. He literally snap of his finger. Yeah. Half of all life in the universe is wiped out. And it, we see it, we see it starting and we see it take some of our heroes. Yeah. And we see it take all the guardians of the galaxy, save rocket. We lose Sam. We lose T'Challa. We lose, uh, 
Peter, we lose Peter Parker. And that was devastating, dude. Oh, like, yeah. That was absolute for two reasons. One, we know what this means for Tony. We know what it means to, because that's, he, he, Civil War forward, he sees himself as being responsible for Peter. Yeah. And, and think about the post-traumatic stress driving his decision-making and his sense of responsibility and his sense of control and his whole thing being, I need to use all of my wits and all of my technology and everything at my disposal to protect the people I care about from threats beyond my control. And I'm responsible for this kid. Yeah. And he takes that shit incredibly seriously. Like in the earlier in the movie, when Peter like pops up, it's like, Hey, I'm on the ship too. Uh, when Peter's just like winging it, he's like, so, you know, in a way it's, it's kind of your fault. I'm here. And Tony's like, what did you just say? Like he takes that deadly seriously. Oh yeah. Uh, what it means for him to have to watch Peter die and dissolve in front of him. But then the way Tom Holland plays that scene where he, you remember Peter Parker's a kid and mm-hmm. he's so, he's so scared Yeah, and he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to go. It's, it's devastating. It's truly, truly, truly devastating. And we and Bucky and and Steve has to watch Bucky dissolve in front of him. Yeah. And and Tony is left on Titan, left stranded on Titan with Gamora. Like and Do- Doctor Strange dissolves as well. And Doctor Strange was like, yeah, he said he's got the line about this was the only way. Yeah. So I guess whenever we come back to Avengers four, I guess we're going to get some, some fun Tony Nebula stuff, which speaking of odd pairings, okie doke. Right. Um, but, uh, Ooh, when we leave, maybe he could make us upgrade her tech. Ooh, damn. Oh, my thought He's gonna was, make her so cool. Oh, my thought was, how do they get off that planet? Uh, what are the odds that we get a scene where Tony uses some of like Nebula's parts to help like wire a ship for them to get out of there? I mean, uh, like they the just two take- of them, what? They just take the one that she brought to Titan. I mean, I I didn't want to assume that she didn't crash that thing super hard, but yes, they could totally, if that thing still works, yeah, they could totally just jump back in that. But my assumption was she crashed that thing pretty hard. A little bit. And there was a moon that was crashed down on Titan. Like after after the fact. Also, isn't it a little weird that like Nebula kind of pieces out for a few minutes in that sequence? Yeah. It's a little weird. A little bit. It's a little weird. Um, But anyway, uh, uh, the two of them are, are left alone there, and we've got most of our core Avengers, Sans Hawkeye, who we don't know where he's at, uh, our core Avengers, Rocket, and Rhodey, and Okoye, uh, back in Wakanda. And then somewhere, we don't, I don't know, we, we don't see Shuri disappear, so maybe she's still there, maybe she's not. We know M'Baku is okay. Right. Uh, thank God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that guy rules. Uh, but, um... Yeah, and they're they're left to to mourn over Vision's body in Wakanda, and like, what a harrowing, devastating note to end on. Like, could there be a more devastating ending to an Avengers story? Yeah, than Captain America sitting on the ground, surrounded by his grieving and shocked and confused friends, looking around and just mournfully saying, "Oh God." Yeah. Like that's that's how this movie ends, except it's not how this movie ends. The only other thing that happens in this movie is that Thanos smiles because <laughs> he won. Yeah. He he like he stated his his purpose earlier where he was like, I mean, once I've done my job, I just want to see the sunset and he got to do it. And he gets to do it. Yeah. So him let's... and Killmonger. That's the that's the ultimate way to end your uh your arc. Yeah. Um, but so really, and that's, and that's the end of the movie until the post, the post credit scene where also Nick Fury and Maria Hill both get raptured. First time we've seen either one of them since age of Ultron. I do like that. 
I guess, clearly, they've been doing covert spy shit together since then. Mm-hmm. Um, or just driving around in SUVs, just having fun. Um, but yes, we do get that that tag on the end where they disappear, but not before Fury gets a beacon out to Captain Marvel, which is very exciting. Um, but okay, let's real quick, because I, I feel like we're, we've been talking for a long, long, long time. Yes. Um, and, and not for nothing, I'm definitely going to continue to have new things to say about Infinity War for a little while, but I'm still... We're, we're recording this opening weekend. So like, I'm still processing. I think you're maybe still processing. Yeah. Let's just talk about the one, the one other thing I really feel like I need to hit actually one tiny, tiny little thing. I'm very amused by, uh, the fact that, uh, Thanos's hype, hype man, Ebony Ma, uh, in this movie, the one who does all the talking, all the bullshit talking. Yeah. I like that his name is just a fancy way to say dark mouth. <laughs> that amuses me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about, uh, what happens when Thanos erases half of all life from existence and we lose some of our heroes. Did you notice an interesting trend among, uh, potentially with the exception of Bucky, although, and this will maybe tip the trend a bit, when they signed Sebastian Stan, and I'm not sure if it was when they signed him for Captain America or if they renegotiated around the time of Winter Soldier. Okay. They signed him for something like eight movies eight or nine i want to say okay and if we do the count even if we start with hang on if we start with captain america that's three cap movies and infinity war and it's and a tag on the end of black panther but i don't know how that like i know when uh evans did the quick cameo in dark world i don't think that counted against his contract so that's half his contract yeah do you see where I'm, do you see where I'm going with this? He's got four movies left on his contract. Do you see where I'm going with this? I don't. Okay. What movies do we essentially know for a fact are still coming after Avengers Four? Um, Ant Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel. Those are before Avengers Four. Um. Oh. Uh. We also have a sequel to uh, Spider Man, uh-huh. and we have a sequel to um. Uh, Black Panther? No. Not confirmed, but there's literally no universe in which Black Panther doesn't get a sequel. Right. I can't remember what the other ones are. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which James Gunn has said repeatedly will be the last ride with this version of the Guardians. Tough to do if they're all dead. Right. Do you see where I'm going with this? Um, I don't, but we don't have time for me to keep guessing. Uh, Okay, here's where I'm going with this. Okay. The characters that we wiped out when Thanos wiped out the universe are characters that are the future of the MCU. Right. Who did we leave? Everyone whose contract is up. Yes. My, what I, what I start speculating about is, is there a version of this when we know that a lot of these, there's no way T'Challa and Peter Parker, if no one else, there's no way T'Challa and Peter Parker are both dead at the end of Avengers 4. Right. Uh, not for nothing. Peter Parker's co-owned by Sony. So I don't know if Marvel could wholesale kill off Spider-Man if they wanted to. Um, It'd but, be funny though. But we also hit in this movie, we hit the, we don't trade lives thing pretty pointedly twice yeah we cap says it early on and then vision echoes it back to him later how much you want to bet that one or more of the avengers whose contract is up will have to trade themselves to get everybody back how much you want to bet how much you want to bet like cap and tony yeah some version of that where they have to trade themselves for the rest of the like they reconcile and they make a choice to make a sacrifice for their friends some some version of that or something similar to that because it's not an accident that they wiped the the actors we know have movies on the slate from existence and left 
the actors that we know uh, with almost 100% certainty are at the end of their tenure. Yeah. My assumption is we're going to get, again, this, I don't know. This is not a spoiler. I have no clue. Yeah. I mean, Uh, it's, it's, we're, it's basically theory and, and yeah, one of the main theories cycling around the internets is that, I mean, even if it's not like a direct trade, it's that all of the people who are left are going to essentially die in the pursuit of getting back the the gauntlet and then uh the d snap will be will only bring back the people that it served to kill it took me a second d snap the unsnapping i got it yes. i was like what's a d snap uh is uh, it's a dick snap <laughs> right. uh uh yikes so yeah that's the title of avengers 4 and that's why it should scare you hell yeah uh, avengers dick snap uh but yes um i don't know if it's going to be everybody i think it would be weird if we brought all of the guardians back but killed rocket that would bum me the fuck out well i mean yeah no but like all the like tier or not tier one but phase one people yes although all of them um would be uh brought back in in my head my my assumption is uh after avengers 4 downey for sure and probably evans are both are i think both of them are done yeah hemsworth very possibly and I don't know about anybody else. Uh, they keep talking about developing that, that that they are actively developing a Black Widow movie. But they also said that I believe they're going to set it in the 80s, which means, okay. yeah, you could kill Natasha in Avengers 4 and still make a Natasha Romanoff Black Widow movie afterwards. That's true. Um, all right. I'm going to wrap us up. We now. Do, we've been going for a really long time. Yes. So thank you, uh, hardcore nerds, because only the hardcore nerds have bailed with us, uh, bailed with us, yep. have been with. It's been a long it's been a long talk. I'm losing it. I'm running yeah. out of words, team. Thank uh, you to everybody that bared with us uh, for this really massive long conversation obviously we love this shit a great deal and we have a lot to say about it as i i don't know about you but like i said like i'm gonna i'm gonna be uh ruminating over infinity war quite a bit uh in the days and weeks to come and i'm sure i will have a lot more to say about it uh but yeah this 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 represents i think the sum total of our initial thoughts on infinity war and also retroactively the mcu as a whole through its prism so i just really quick want to ask you because we're about to sign off just uh, final overall initial thoughts on Infinity War, just like in a in a couple of sentences. Um, I liked it a lot. I really enjoyed Thanos' story. I think that they managed to make him very uh, relatable, but also formidable and also uh, threatening. Uh, I liked seeing all the different reactions, or not reactions, but interactions between the different characters. And I liked the... Um, the steaks. I liked all them steaks. Yummy steaks. Emotional steaks. Miss steaks. Mothered in ketchup. Hell yeah. Um, and yourself? Three sentences. Yes to all of that. They did it. It's the real deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, for, as you're processing this, I assume you'll be tweeting things out. Where can people find you? I am all over social media at the Lex Michael. Awesome. And you can find me at Tari J. That's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. But you can also find this podcast on Twitter at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Uh, as Lex said, thank you for sitting with us and 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 listening to us talk about Infinity War um, and, and all of it. Yeah, we just think about it. We just did a show. We did it. We did a double show on nineteen movies. 
that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty. It's pretty good really economy good. of content. Yeah. I, I must say, and didn't cost y'all a penny. So yeah. So you're welcome. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and all we ask is that you uh, subscribe so we can get to the top of everyone's feeds, bro. Yeah. Just say, you know what? Say something nice. Say something nice. You know what? It's not. It's not what it costs. But it's like if you if you feel charitable, you don't even have to give us your money. Just give us your praise. Hell yeah. Um, but also let us know what you thought of, of Infinity War, either on our Twitter or you can leave us a comment with some stars below. Or you can also uh, go on to Anchor. Uh, and if you uh, have the Anchor app, you can leave us a, a, vo- a, a voice message that lets us know how you, what you thought and we can integrate it into the show. So, uh, yo, son, do that shit. And don't feel like you can't give us your money. Like, um, I don't mean to suggest that you can't do that. I just don't feel obligated. But hey, you know, if if you got some lying around. Yeah, totally. I mean, we still dream of uh, not missing out on being rich. So, yo, son, give, give us some dollars. Uh, until next Tuesday, have a good one. I mean, if, if you're one of the people that's still here, because he did snap those fingers. I did. Uh, you've all been raptured, and I'm in a raptured. I, I think it's a word. I don't know. All words are made up. Thank you. Bye.